Blog Talk Radio. Round one. Fight, 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 fight. Well, it helps if I turn on my mic. All right, and welcome to The Balance. My name's Tom Marquisel, Presidente. I am <coughs> your host who is dying and hacking up a lung, but hey, we are here and we are ready to go. Shoveling out here in the city of Indianapolis after uh, Mother Nature gave us an ass-kicking uh, yesterday with ice and snow, but uh, uh, the good thing about it is all of that has stopped, and we are ready to rock and roll. NFL playoffs begin or continue this week, and we'll certainly the the uh, Super Bowl picture is getting uh, better and better. Also, we're going to be getting back into our racing talk and being ca- get caught up on a lot of racing. Matthew Embry of at Open Wheel now is going to be joining us here in just a moment to get us caught up on everything racing that we need to know, everything that we've missed out on. And certainly, just a few weeks away is uh, the Daytona 500. And we're not even that far away from IndyCar starting back up. And a lot of news coming out of IndyCar, so a lot of things to get caught up with uh, with Matthew Embry up at Open Wheel. My name is Sean Marquis, El Presidente. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. 
Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, and welcome back to the balance. My name's Tom Mark Wasero, President. Hey, time to get this ball rolling. Matthew Embry of uh, uh, at Open Will now uh, joins us. How are you doing, sir? Welcome back to the balance. Uh, this Chili Bowl website needs to make their set, their type bigger. I'm having trouble reading it. It's so dang small. Of course, when they have <laughs> letters as far as features tonight, going through the letter N, uh, it's kind of a long list. Yeah, the Chili Bowl is going on, and you know what? That is a great uh, – that's just a great kind of off-season winter thing uh, that goes on every year with, with uh, certainly a lot of – with the open-wheel racers, a lot of the younger racers. Uh, uh, well, not necessarily younger racers, but certainly a good opportunity for the sprint cars to shine and so forth. Talk with us a little bit and catch us up with the Chili Bowl Nationals. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, the guy from Alabama, that Kevin Thomas Jr., could be a challenger for the poll. Uh, for tonight's main event, Brad Sweet from the World of Outlaws is up there. Rico Abreu, Kyle Larson almost won the Knoxville Nationals, be in the top ten. Crispian is in the list. And then there's a few uh, interesting names. Uh, Spencer Baston, who's an up-and-coming driver, is in the list. Uh, our good buddy Rico Abreu is in there. Justin Grant, uh, Chase Johnson. I mean, there's a bunch of big challengers up there on the list. And then there's a... Uh, so you just how deep some of this field is. Uh, for instance, uh, Sammy Swindell, who's dominated this race the last several years, didn't make the A this year. Uh, Chris Winden, the former winner, didn't make the A. Caleb Armstrong, Chad Boat. I mean, there's a bunch of big names on this list here that are in the lower feature. I mean, Steve Buckwalter, a guy that's been a dominant force on the USAC Tour, is in the C. Uh, so, and even a guy like David Gravel, who was finished second in the World of Outlaws in the C, I think uh, Donnie Schatz, who won the World of Outlaws Championship, uh, is in the F main tonight. So 
it's a tough field if you're having guys like that. I mean, even Parker Price Miller is in the D. I mean, there's some huge names here. And just to show you just how tough it is, I mean, there's some guys that have, if you have just a little bit of bad luck, you're stuck in one of these lower features. And uh, there's some huge names here as we go further and further down the list of guys that shouldn't be this low. I mean, even for instance, uh, up the cover like Harley White's in the East. So, I mean, I mean, it's a loaded field for this event. And like I said, if things don't go your way, uh, you can have a lot of frustrating times and uh, be stuck well down the list. But uh, the big names are up there. I think Chris Bell could be a factor to possibly go back-to-back. And uh, like I said, there's a possibility even Kyle Larson could win this event. So it should be an interesting night tonight. Again, that event, I believe, is on MAP TV, I think, I think like 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock, something like that tonight. So if you have MAP TV, I believe that's the channel that's carrying the event tonight. Yeah, I believe so, and certainly Bale does get to the uh, Chili Bowl final with that uh, uh, wire-to-wire uh, finish uh, on thir- Thursday night, so we'll be uh, uh, certainly watching that and see what's going on. Let's get into some Indy talk, uh, IndyCar talk. Obviously, we haven't quite started up the IndyCar season, but uh, but uh, uh, that doesn't mean that IndyCar is not going on. Certainly, Harding Racing has confirmed a uh, long-held plan to, uh, to become a, full, a full-time a full Verizon IndyCar Series entrant with Gabby Chavez uh, piloting the number 88 Chevy uh, the transition follows Matthew uh, uh, follows uh, Harding's impressive debut in, in 2017, where Chavez uh, contested uh, was in the Indy 500 uh, in Texas and Pocono, earning ninth at Indianapolis with a strong fifth at, at Fort Worth as well. Talk with us about this move from Harding Racing as a full-time racing team in the 2018 Verizon IndyCar Series. It's good to see that they moved up. The bad thing is, is they didn't announce extra sponsorship. Uh, so that puts me in a concern because I had them as one of the teams that could possibly enter an extra car for the Indianapolis 500 to get to 33. But the fact that they are still essentially paying for a full season out of their own pocket, uh, that's not necessarily the greatest of signs for me. But uh, I think good to see them run. But uh, like I said, they have not run a road course event. Uh, Gabby Chavez is three years removed from his last full season on the IndyCar circuit, so a lot of unknowns. And this is a team that's saying that they should be challenging for podiums. Uh, unless they have attrition real race like what happened at Texas when they finished fifth, uh, I just don't see that happening in year one. I mean, the field is too good. I mean, you still got Penske around. you still got Ganassi, Andretti, Schmidt, Ray Hall. Coin. Uh, there's just so many good teams in IndyCar right now that I really have a hard time seeing a scenario unless there's an attrition race or maybe even Indy where they are stuck in mid or the back of the pack for most of the season. Well, also, I think Brian Barnhart also said not only are they going to be racing uh, Gabby Chavez in the Indian, uh, 2018 Indianapolis 500, but also there's a possibility at the Indy 500 and other select races they'll have a second entrant. Any idea who that might be? That's the thing, though. I'm not convinced about it until I see it. Like I said, if they had announced extra sponsorship for besides Harding Group for Chavez, I would have been more confident in that. But until they announce that sponsorship, I mean, that's a lot of money to be paying out of your own pocket for two cars. Uh, and that's the thing. I mean, it's we have people saying how it's at least, you know, $2 million to run a 
respectable entry at the Indianapolis 500 now. And not many teams uh, are willing to have that kind of money, especially a brand-new team out of the box. So be curious to see who they go for. I think if they do go for somebody, I would be looking certainly at a veteran. Uh, you've still got guys like, for instance, Juan Montoya is looking for a ride, potentially. Uh, even a Connor Daly. Uh, Connor Daly, as we said, is actually even looking at NASCAR rides now in the Xfinity or the Truck Series because he cannot find a ride in IndyCar, and it looks like he's not going to get the coin ride. So there are some options out there for them, but I think they certainly need another veteran driver because I don't think putting a rookie in a situation with a brand-new team like this is the smartest decision. Right, and we've certainly seen other teams uh, fall flat on their face with this self-funding. So uh, we'll see uh, how all that pans out. Other big news uh, inside uh, the uh, the IndyCar series, as we had talked about at the end of last year, uh, Danica Patrick had planned on uh, teaming up with Chip Ganassi uh, for a return to the Indianapolis 500. That now does not look likely. Uh, what do you think was the reason that that deal fell apart? Well, it takes away from their main entry, and I think that's the biggest concern they have. I think that's why, for instance, they have cut down to just two entries this year for Scott Dixon and Ed Jones. Not only do they want to compete for a championship, they want to win the Indianapolis 500 because they are now six years removed from their last victory with Dara Franchitti in 2012. So that is clearly a target, and running the Patrick entry, I think, would have taken away some of that attention. Now, as far as Danica, this is why – and I said it when she initially announced the plans to do it, is she should have announced a team deal with the plans because she's not looking foolish right now. There are not many good entries left right now. I mean, Daytona is looking very iffy at this point. And for Indy, uh, the only notable entry out there, I'd say, is Rahel Letterman-Lanigan, only because, and I say this because, you know, little factor, but her number 16 is not being used by Takuma Sato. And that's the number she used for her first two seasons in Indianapolis. So if there's any hunch as to a place where she may turn up, be the location. But if it doesn't happen there, the best I think she could hope for at this point is probably Briar and Reingold uh, if they run two cars, one for Karen and one for herself. So at this point, the options are getting very few and far between for Danica for an Indy 500 attempt. Well, absolutely, and and you know here here's the thing with the whole Danica thing. It really became a big story. It became the story. It became the story what everybody was talking about. And I don't know that it was ever formally announced, and I could be wrong about this. I don't know that it was ever formally announced that she be, would be with Chip Canassi. Um, although I thought that every I think everybody thought that that was going to be what ca- would would come into uh, to play. Uh, so you know, it just kind of. You're right. It kind of makes her look like uh, with egg on her face, and we know that that's certainly not something that uh, Danica Patrick is used to having or liking, that's for sure. So hopefully uh, they get all of that worked out as we walk around the IndyCar series and the the other paddocks. What are some of the news coming out of IndyCar? Uh, You know, it was certainly in week one, uh, IndyCar – is is coming up soon. Uh so I, I know that uh uh there's a lot that's been going on, a lot of team changes and stuff. So kind of maybe just give us an overall uh view of what's happened in what we call the funny season or the off season in IndyCar. Uh where are we at now uh, throughout the different paddocks and and uh, what are some of the rumors that you're hearing through the IndyCar series? Glad you asked. Let's take a look at these one by one. Get a little music bed behind me here. 
Team Penske. Again, for those of you that have not been following, they will run three cars full-time, New Garden, Pagano, Will Power, and then they will provide a car for Elio Castellavis for the two Indy races, the IndyCar Grand Prix and the Indy 500. As we mentioned, Ganassi runs just two cars, Dixon and Jones, and Dreddy. Second straight year, Tom, that they're going to be running six cars at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Ryan Hunter Ray, Andretti, Alexander Rossi, Zach Beats the Rookie, Stefan Wilson, and now Carlos Munoz. That's a loaded team right there for a team that's won this race three of the last four years. In fact, if you check out the website, popularopenwheel.com, I wrote down an article this week that says, is, in, is Andre invincible at Indy? And I think if they win again this year with the strength and numbers they have, I think that question's got to be raised. Are they the top team now to beat? at the Brickyard now, instead of a Team Penske or Ganassi. Uh, Ray Hall Letterman, Graham Ray Hall, Takuma Sato are with that team now. Again, there's a possibility Danica could be there. We could also see Oriel Servia for an Indy-only ride. Uh, Schmidt Peterson now has three cars. Uh, the Hinchcliffe, Wicked's rides were confirmed for the first of the year. Jack Harvey, along with Michael Sank, now has confirmed for six races. There's still an outside chance that someone like a Juan Pablo Montoya could be added for the 500. Then you've got the coin situation, and as I indicated, Connor Daly looks like is no longer candidate for the second seat at Dale Coyne. Uh, looks like Sebastian Bourdais will be paired up with either one driver or a pairing of drivers. So the driver that's being mentioned now is Zachary Clement de Mayo from the Indy Lights presented by Cooper Tire Series. Could also see a pairing between him and Insa Lexus Cosworth, who used to drive for the Ford team. And obviously, there's a good chance Pippa Man will be back for the Indy 500. Ed Carpenter Racing. Uh, they've announced that Jordan King, a uh, driver from British Formula 3, will join uh, Ed Carpenter Racing for the road course events next season alongside Ed Carpenter and full timer Spencer Pickett. As we mentioned, Harding Racing, Gabby Chavez has been now confirmed. A.J. Foyt with two Brazilians, Tony Kanan and Matthias Least. Matthias Least, an underdriver up from Indy Light. Juncos Racing. Uh, there's eight races that have been confirmed so far. Uh, Kyle Kaiser will drive in four of them. Uh, another up-and-coming European, Renee Bender, will drive in four races as well. Probably road courses, while Kyra Kaiser is going to focus on the ovals. And then rounding out the field, you've got Carlin making their announcement. Max Chilton and Charlie Kimball, both moving for Ganassi. Sponsors also transfer over. And then you've got the last two, likely with Darren Reinbold, possibly running two cars, maybe one for Karen, one for Patrick. And, of course, the Zip partners filling out the field. So for those of us that are hoping that we would see some bumping in Indianapolis this year, I hate to say it, Tom, but it looks like, once again, it's going to be, I think, IndyCar is looking for 33 cars, and I'll be happy with that. I mean, it's not what, you know, some of the hardcore fans want to see, but at this point, uh, unless things really start getting going and we got more willingness to provide more than 33 engines between Honda and Chevrolet included, I think, once again, we're going to have a 33-car field, and that's all we're going to get. Well, and you know, we've got another big component, too, that's happening here in 2018. We've got a new car, and we've got a new uh, chassis uh, happening in the 2018. How are teams, how are drivers uh, getting used to that? I know there's been some testing uh, done 
uh, over the past couple of months. Uh, but how are drivers and teams getting used to the new chassis? Obviously, that's going to be a, play a huge role uh, in certainly in uh, performances, not only in the Indianapolis 500, but going forward. But we certainly saw a lot of issues with uh, different manufacturers and in, 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 uh, issues revolving around uh, Honda and, and other manufacturers uh, when it comes to the, the chassis and being able to perform well there at the Indianapolis 500 and races. So talk with us about some of the characteristics of the new chassis. How are the teams and drivers getting ready for this in the IndyCar series? Well, the feedback's been positive at this point. Uh, there's a few people say that it's a little more tougher to drive than the cars, the more brick-style cars that they have with the wheels being covered. But uh, I think... Uh, at least for the initial feedback in Indianapolis with the test drivers, Oral Surrey and Juan Pablo Montoya, they say the car is a lot better to drive in traffic now compared to the car they had last year. Uh, time will tell, obviously, on that. They've added a little extra weight since that test, though, so once they get back out there, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, ultimately, though, I don't think they're going to be faster than they were last year. I think a 230 will still get you the pole position in Indy, but I don't think we'll see as many 230 runs uh, as we did this past year, where we had 15 cars in the field at 230 and above. Uh, maybe we'll see maybe a full fast nine over 230. But uh, beyond that, I think uh, we won't see as many as we did last year. And that's, again, the changeover of cars. Sometimes it usually sees a drop of the speeds anyway. So I think uh, we'll see the speeds come back up, but I don't think it will be this year uh, where we'll see you know, a serious challenge being made as we get try to get closer to that 237 mark to break the track record. Well, yeah, and absolutely. And, you know, you and I have been out there at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, numerous times, and we love seeing those high speeds. But at the same time, uh, what we've also seen with those high speeds has been some pretty ca- catastrophic wrecks. Uh, and so we'll, we'll see how that uh, all pans out. But I'm all for speed, but I'm also for safety at the same time. I, I know they're down there in Sebring doing some testing. I, I think Andretti Motorsports and uh, uh, Chip Canassi teams were down there as well on Wednesday. Uh, you know, so certainly uh, Ryan Hunter Ray said it's definitely alive, uh, who's uh, back in his number 28 DHL Honda. Um, he said it's been a bruiser car to drive, but we still have a lot to work on. It's only just getting started. So certainly uh, the, 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 the IndyCar has cautioned uh, people and fans uh, and teams, for that matter, against making final judgments about the effect of the kit uh, after only a few hours of, of testing. Uh, but certainly there's a lot of work to do, and, and we will uh, be monitoring that. One of those catastrophic wrecks certainly uh, we happen, saw happen last year year here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway with Bourdais. How do you think his bounce back is going to be, and uh, what do you think kind of shape, kind of driver he's going to be coming up here in 2018? How he fares in St. Petersburg, I think, will tell the story. If he has another solid run, he doesn't necessarily have to win the race again like he did last year, but he has a solid run like a top 10, I think you have to put him back in the championship contender position as he would have been if that accident did not happen in last May. He was right in the midst of the championship chase before that accident happened. So if he has another solid run and can keep the thing together, I think he has a good chance. The question is, though, is how he's going to mesh if he's going to have two different teammates during the year. If they have to split that second team between DeBalo, Kawad DeBalo, and Hawksworth, that could make things a little bit interesting because we've seen how it's affected things. For instance, that at Carpenter Racing with the team continuity there, and I think that's part of the reason why uh, – you know, J.R. Hildebrand struggled this past year because you have to 
go with one teammate for a handful of races, then you got a totally different teammate for another set of races. So until it works for, if that's the route they're going to go, until I see it work for myself, uh, I am skeptical of how it's going to help or hurt Bourdais's chances to win a title in 2018. Well, certainly in, in uh, one of the things, uh, he's with Pinsky and, you know, I, we look at these what we call super teams, and, you know, we saw Chip Canassi uh, really decrease his his team size. So, really, Penske's the, really the only dominant what we would call super team uh, left. Uh, you know, so uh, what, what, what do you, where do you think the Penske, the Penske, uh, we'll call it a rivalry, but it's certainly the, the, uh, the, the competitiveness between the two teams, especially between Chip Canassi and uh, Penske racing, is, is very extreme. And as we saw last year, uh, when it came down to Penske, it was uh, Penske against Penske and, you know, for the championship. But uh, certainly, uh, you know, Penske has a very dominant super team coming out of 2017 and we don't look for that to change at all going into 2018. If Chevrolet provides a better engine, and we see that in Indianapolis, I think the are really going to have trouble beating them. That's the only place, the big ovals, where it seemed like the Honda cars had an advantage. Uh, if that is equalized somewhat with the new car, and if Chevrolet provides a little more horsepower to tease like Petsky and some of the other suppliers they provide to, uh, Honda is going to have a very hard time this season, and we could very well see a situation where Penske possibly wins three-quarters of the events on the 17-race schedule. I mean, if Chevrolet uh, gives them something that's a little more competitive, uh, for the oval tracks at least, they are going to be very difficult to beat uh, pretty much in every race this season. We're talking with Matthew Embry of At Open Wheel now, certainly our official IndyCar contributor and Open Wheel Racing uh, contributor to to the balance and certainly looking forward uh, to talking with Matthew throughout the racing season. Some other just off stories that we know have happened here recently. Ed Carpenter Racing finalizes this 2018 lineup and adds Jordan King. Uh, talk with us a little bit about Ed Carpenter and his 2018 Verizon IndyCar Series uh, driver, uh, Jordan King, and certainly his plans uh, in the 2018. The only question in my mind right now with Ed Carpenter, is he going to run a third card in here or not? And if it is, I doubt Jordan King's going to be a driver because he has no oval experience, no high-speed track areas to see uh, if they make a third car available for someone like a J.R. Hildebrand maybe. Uh, beyond that possibility, uh, Jordan King uh, certainly showed some decent stuff in the test run he had this past week at Sebring. I don't think he's going to be, you know, challenging for the lead at any events this season, but I think he will be a consistent mid-pack runner. If not, maybe get a few runs up the front if things uh, work out better. It's more as he gets experience because this car is totally different to anything that he has driven before. So I'll be very curious to see uh, how he fares the season where he's on, at least on the road courses, and if he is in the future plans as far as, you know, Indy 500 rides or some oval track rides because – I'd be very curious for us to see how Spencer Piggott does, considering he only has uh, two oval track starts in his IndyCar career to date right now. And, of course, both of those have come at the Indianapolis 500. Well, you got to look at that 
the the oval expert with Ed Carpenter Racing is Ed Carpenter himself, uh, and so you you would think that they would uh, uh, rely on Pickett and King for the uh, road and street courses. Uh, certainly, uh, I think King is going to drive the number twenty uh, Fuzzy Vaca in the road uh, road and street courses. I think it is the plan for that. Uh, but I think you're right. I think certainly they would not want to put Jordan King into much of the oval races and see how P- Pickett uh, does and kind of uh, swap those around between there. But I would think predominantly with Ed Carpenter racing in the oval racing, especially with the Indianapolis 500 and other big oval races, you'll see Ed Carpenter be the the dominant driver within that team. When you when you agree with that? Certainly in that case, but uh, be very curious to see how they get there. Chevrolet, if they have to run the extremely low downforce like they did at this year's Indianapolis 500, uh, be very curious to see with a brand new car how they would be able to handle over the distance of 500 miles. I think you saw last year how those cars faded as the race continued on. I mean, they will qualify well, but if Chevrolet does not provide the power where they could be a little bit more conservative on the setup, uh, they will have a very hard time, I think, staying in a competitive position uh, to challenge over the course of 500 miles. I mean, we saw it last year. Their cars finished, but they did not finish very high. Some other news happening inside IndyCar. Marco Andretti and Alexander Rossi, they swapped rides for, uh, for Andretti in 2018. Certainly they made that announcement last month or last year, the, the end of the year, last year, 2017. They made that announcement in December of 2017, but just catching up on everything. Uh, Marco Andretti and Alexander Rossi are sweat set to switch numbers uh, in operations uh, ahead of the 2018 series. One, uh, a couple questions here on that, Matt. Why did they do that? What was the purpose of that switch? And do you think ultimately it'll uh, help in moving uh, the uh, team Andretti forward? Uh, and we talk about power teams. That's a, certainly another one that could certainly come into conversations about being a power team. But what was the logic and uh, the the thought pattern of switching um Alexander Rossi and Marco Andretti around. Marco Andretti is just trying to find, in my opinion, some excuse to explain why he has driven so poorly the last several seasons. This is the fourth number he has used in the past six years, which uh, to me, I think it's just trying to find excuses for his lack of competitive drive. I mean, he had the 26 at the start of his career. They switched to 25. They switched to 27. Now he's 98. There's not many other numbers left uh, to hide uh, if you're not being competitive. And I don't know what it is. He's just trying to find some lucky number or whatever the case is. But as far as the weakest link at Andretti Autosport, I hate to say it for all the Marco Andretti fans that are at the paddock in Indianapolis, but Marco is the weakest link on this team as far as I'm concerned. And, heck, he may even have to struggle against trying to beat uh, Zach Beach and Stephen Wilson for, you know, the fourth position as far as the totem pole when we get to Indianapolis for Speedway this upcoming month of May. Because, I mean, supposedly Zach Beach has been testing extremely well. Uh, Stephen Wilson should be competitive. So being able to beat your five teammates, I think, is going to be the biggest problem that Marco's going to have when we get to the Indianapolis for Speedway in May. Well, let's talk about another uh, very popular driver in the paddock, and we won't see as much in the in the 2018 season. We will see him here at the Indianapolis 500, and that's uh, Elio Castaneves. Uh, talk with us a little bit about the, the the thoughts with that and Pinsky and and how things are going to shape up with that. Well, it's going off to a good start for Elio at, uh, as far as his IMSA career. Had a decent day at the Roar Test, of course, 
Cadillac was extremely dominant at that test uh, last weekend where they placed four cars in the top four of the testing seats. I'll be very curious to see what happens uh, with the bounce performance, looking into the Rolex 24, how badly Cadillac is penalized because of that. But uh, Penske and Acura looking good. Tats Nevis has looked very quick. Uh, his teammates being Cameron, Ricky Taylor have looked good. Montoya's looked pretty solid. So things are looking very good, I think, in his career of sports cars. He may not win, you know, the Rolex 24, but I think down the road, as this accurate car gets more and more miles underneath, it wouldn't surprise me if they get to one of these sprint events and El Cascavis possibly finds the top step of the podium before the 2018 IMSA season's out. And then, of course, Indianapolis, always a solid contender there. I think he has at least one or two more good chances to possibly add his name to that four-time win club. You know, you mentioned the Rolex 24. I love that race. I try to, to uh, watch as much of it as I can, but uh, it, it ends up uh, me crashing uh, sometime around three or four o'clock in the morning because I'm old and can't make it through the whole through the whole day. But I certainly me love too. watching me the Rolex too. 24. <laughs> uh, so, give us a preview of the 2018 Rolex 24 and what's coming up. Well, like I said, uh, the question is how badly is Cadillac going to get penalized uh, as far as situation? Because they were head and shoulders above the rest of the field uh, this past weekend at the war test. Um, looking at my numbers, there were only one other car was in the 136 bracket, and that was one of those two accurate team Penske cars. And Nissan was down on pace, Mazda was down, and then the generic LMP2s. Uh, the Orcas were okay, but they were not at the same pace either. So I'll be very curious to see in the next week or so what IMSA decides to do to try to equalize the field. Now, granted, the Delara chassis Cadillac uses is a low downforce chassis per se anyway. So I'll be very curious to see if they cut them on power. They have a brand-new 5.5-liter V8 engine, which has gotten a lot of pace, especially on the Australia's Vic. They have speed tracks for tracing them at around 200 miles an hour at the start-finish line which considering with the chicane and all that is pretty darn quick. So I'll be curious to see what happens there. But uh, I think could see a good run from Acura Team Penske if they could keep the car competitive. But I think the big question at this point is, will the Cadillacs break? Because uh, unless they are cut in pace significantly, they're going to be the pace setter, they'll be the rabbits, and it wouldn't surprise me if either Action Express, Wayne Taylor, or Spirit of Daytona, a brand-new Cadillac team, team that wins the Rolex chronometer at the end of 24 hours. Now, as far as the other classes, uh, you talk about the Nasty Racing with the Ford program. They were 1-2 in the test, so they should be right up there. Uh, Porsche, Corvette, Ferrari should be good. BMW's new car, though, was not very good in the test. So I'll be curious to see how that M8 does when we get to, you know, two weeks from now. And then as far as CT Daytona, it's a crabs here. I mean, we've seen Lamborghinis up there, Audis, Acuras, we've seen a couple Porsches, and even the the Lexus cars that are run by Sage Karam and Jack Hawksworth have been quick, so that could be a real uh, competitive draw in the last group. But I think ultimately, uh, pace is going to be right now, and whether or not someone can match the Cadillacs and make them have to work for pace. If they can take it easy like they did last year, where they dominated, uh, I have a hard time seeing a scenario, Tom, where you know, Nissan couldn't keep up with them. Acura is okay, but I still don't think over the course of the whole race they could keep up with them on pace only. And even though, yes, Mazda is paired with Team Yost, who has so many successes at Le Mans, Sebring, et cetera, uh, that car is still extremely new and has not been reliable. So 
I think right now, if you're looking ahead to two weeks from now, I have a hard time seeing a scenario where Cadillac does not win the overall with one of those four cars. So talk about so, you know certainly the the Rolex Twenty Four uh, it brings out some of the best drivers in in the world. Talk with us a, a little bit about some of the top drivers that are be there. I think uh, Fernando Alonso will be there. I think uh, there's a, a lot of, a lot of people as we just mentioned, Elio Castanevas will be there. Talk with us a little bit about the A list drivers that show up for the Rolex Twenty Four in Daytona. Alonso is the only major current Formula One driver that's in the list, and even he admitted that the chances of getting others into the Rolex 24 is going to be tough, or even the 24 hours of Le Mans, because the schedules just have not been able to match up. I mean, we saw a couple of years ago Nico Hulkenberg take a break from Porsche from his Formula One with an off week and win the 24 hours of Le Mans, but the way the schedules have laid out, they have not allowed drivers to be able to jump over and do that as of late. But, uh, the thing with Alonzo, though, he's got a competitive situation. The problem is, though, is he got a competitive car because the Ligier was well off the pace of the Orcas in the FIA World Endurance Championship last year. Uh, unless there has been a significant gain in pace, uh, I think he's got a car that could get a good finish, but I just don't think it's going to be a winning car. Uh, if you're looking for a generic car to possibly get the victory against one of those Daytona Pro 5 Internationals, the Orca is probably the best boat to do that. Uh, you've got a couple cars that Jackie Chan is running. Uh, you've got the car that John Bennett's entering, Core Autosport, for Colin Brown. Drivers including Lloyd Duvall's former winner at these 12 Hours of Sebring. So you've got a couple possibilities. Also, Romain Dumas with that Core Autosport team. So that's a solid driver lineup. But... Uh, Beyond that, though, I think you've got a few other big names, potentially with Ganassi, possibly Scott Dixon in one of those cars. It looks like Kanan is not going to be running this year. Obviously, we're now with Foyt. Uh, and then you look further down the list, there were not too many other big names in there. I think there were a couple of NASCAR lower-level drivers like Austin Sindrick. I think they were in one of the J.C. Miller prototypes uh, during the test. I don't know if he's going to run the race or not, but... Uh, there are a few other possibilities out there, but I think the big name, you know, variety that we've seen the last several years, uh, it's kind of been mellowed down just a little bit, at least this year, even though there is Alonzo around. Uh, the big name drivers that are running Indy or just this race, that's uh, kind of been tapered off just a little bit, I'd say, at least based on what I've seen as far as the entry list, the possibilities as we get so close to uh, race day from being just two weeks away right now. So there are some big, you know, Names not used to sports car racing, but it's not as big as it has been. And I think because of the customization and partially because of the Daytona Prototype International and the fact only 50 cars are in the field this year, I think has a lot to do with that. Talking with Matthew Embry of Open Wheel now, certainly uh, bringing us up to speed on on what's going on in the Open Wheel series. Uh, Just a a few more uh, questions. things uh, regarding the IndyCar uh, before we let you go. Uh, you know, one of the, the, the changes over at Chip Canassi is we see Ed Jones over there. Uh, certainly, talk with us a little bit about Ed Jones, his career, how he ended up at Chip Canassi. And, and I think it's a good move for him, but I think there's going to be an adjustment period for him over there. Well, it's the situation. He was looking good, and he had a good run going as number two Matt coin, but then the crash at Indy happened to Bourdais. He had to take over the number one role, which is a role that he was not ready for, and he struggled from that point on the rest of the season. As long as nothing happens to Scott Dixon, he does not need to be the team leader at Ganassi, and he can get back to that number two role, and I think then he could start loading in the top ten finishes 
Uh, this is a guy that's dominated in Indy Lights for the past two or three seasons prior to joining the IndyCar ranks. So this is a guy, I think, down the road that is going to be a contender for victories. But I think right now that he is more in a supporting role is where he's going to be most comfortable at this point instead of being, you know, the team leader like he tried to be a coin without Bourdais, as you saw this past year. In the race where Bourdais was not running, his performances really uh, went downhill from that point. Well, certainly we'll see how he, how he does over there at Chip Canassi, and we'll be monitoring him as well. You know, another uh, thing that we're monitoring and keep an eye on is this relationship between Firestone and IndyCar. And IndyCar, uh, uh, I mean, Firestone just announced that they've got a brand-new set of uh, rain tires uh, for the 2018 IndyCar Series. Uh, talk with us a little bit about uh, – certainly we've seen some challenges with Firestone being able to keep up uh, with uh, manufacturers and be able to keep up with the needs of IndyCar. First of all, first question uh, – Talk with us a little bit about uh, the, the rain tire, the new rain tire being redu- introduced by Firestone. And is this relationship between IndyCar and Firestone a strained relationship, or is this just, you know, hey, this is what partnerships do. We have we have our, our ups and, and flows. We have our ups and downs. And, you know, sometimes things go good, sometimes things don't. But is the relationship between IndyCar and Firestone a pretty solid one? Consider Firestone was looking for a way out of this relationship as early as two years ago. So there's still, you know, a little bit of ho-humness to it. If I think if IndyCar could find a tire supplier that would be a little more interested in the situation, I think they jumped the ship on that. The history that Firestone has with the Indianapolis 500 is enough to keep the thing going for now. But like you said, even with the brand-new rain tire, I think there is, you know, the interest uh, since Al Spire retired, I think it's kind of waned just a little bit as well. And uh, I don't, I'm not saying that totally Firestone doesn't care about the series anymore, but I think the interest, though, is waning just like it was when Firestone initially returned in 95 and then Goodyear started to give way and eventually went out five years later. So if they could find a supplier that was interested enough to handle things a little more than Firestone had, I think they would jump at the opportunity. But right now the interest, though, is not there yet. And uh, keep in mind, IndyCar still has a little ways to go before it becomes, you know, to the point where we have a good size fields at most races. I mean, 22 is okay, but it's not the numbers I think some of the hardcore fans are looking for as far as a full-time regular field group as far as, you know, a full-time season. You know, talking about tires as as well, uh, Super Formula introduces a soft tire for the for the whole season uh, as well. Super uh, Formula drivers will be uh, given a choice of two different uh, tire compounds in 2018 with the new uh, soft rubber added to the uh, Yokohama's uh, uh, range there. Uh, talk with us uh, a little bit about the Super, uh, Super Formula uh, series there. That's, uh, I think we've seen uh, multiple tire options at multiple circuits. I mean, we've seen them with Formula One. They usually have two or three options available, which you've got to run during the race. Um, we've seen a little bit of things being changed in some of the other circuits. Uh, for instance, as far as tire options available, multiple tire options available to keep things, you know, fresh and keep the competition going. And then, uh, obviously, it's worked out in skew situations. Be curious to see with the black and the reds how that works out at road courses. I mean, it's always been a key factor in late in races where we've seen a driver take a gamble on the red tires and it's worked out for them or it's failed on them. So be very curious to see how that multiple tire option thing continues down with the two new options available with the two formulas. But, uh, yeah, it should be very competitive stuff going down uh, the road here. 
and uh, not just necessarily potentially a whitewash for Penske, but still there could be some other teams from those big three that could challenge them uh, as the season wears on. But uh, for those that are looking for, you know, a dominate or more competitive field, uh, you might see it in Indianapolis if Chevrolet does not get their A game going. But I think majority of the events, you like that you got to like the chances of what Team Penske has uh, against the rest of the field. Uh, Campos Racing has announced uh, the promotion of uh, Simo Lacusan, and I'm sure I just butchered that name, uh, from Euro Formula Open uh, to its uh, GR3 outfit. reason why I bring him up, he was a driver that was looked at a year or two ago uh, about coming over to IndyCar. Is that still something that's being looked at with him, or is he going to be going more the Formula One route? Not sure who that is. And then, of course, there's another guy, that Balthasar Laguzian, who is supposedly waiting until his 18th birthday to try to get an IRO license to compete in the final two events this season for, you know, a splinter team from the Lazier Partners uh, being run by Corey Krauss, I believe. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's interesting to see drivers coming in that are interested in any cars, but the question is, are there space for them and ability? And that's key about expanding the grid is so you can get these opportunities for these drivers that are looking for rides and the possibilities where you can give them rides for the full season. I think that's the big thing is they need to keep finding ways to expand the grid, bring more new teams into the circuit would be one way to do it. If there's a couple more teams that would join in for 2019, that would always be a big deal. So the key thing is right now, 22 is a decent number, but the thing is you'd like to see it get around close to 25, 26 uh, in the next year or so, if possible, for the rest of these races. So these younger drivers and these other prospects uh, can get a serious look. Are we going to see one Hablo Montoya back at the 500 this year? Like I said, the best possibility for him right now is with Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports in a fourth entry. Uh, that's the one that I think most of the experts are saying that he could end up at. But if it doesn't end up there, uh, it's going to be tough. I'd see him getting a ride. I don't think Ganassi's made it clear they're only going to run two. Uh, I don't see him a situation where he ends up at Ray Hall. And those are the competitive rides that are left right now. And unless maybe, maybe ECR, maybe ECR, but beyond that, you're looking at uncompetitive rides as far as chances to win the race for the rest of the teams like Harding, some of the others that are looking for Junko, some of the others that are looking for other riders. So if it doesn't happen with Ray Hall or Smith Peterson, I don't think it's going to happen for Montoya. Talking with Matthew Embry of Open Will, uh, now our official IndyCar contributor, getting caught up with everything from the offseason as we get ready uh, to move into uh, the uh, 2018 season. And St. Petersburg is just around the corner, coming up in the end. Of, I mean, the beginning of March, I believe. I don't know the exact date. On, on that, but one of the things that, that we might be seeing a change in here coming up in the future is the broadcast of IndyCar and the uh, predominantly the television broadcast and the way that you're able to view uh, the Indianapolis 500. Uh, I also know that uh, IndyCar has looked at, uh, and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway has looked at various different types of uh, broadcast rights, if you will. They're looking at possibly Amazon streams and stuff. What are some of the changes that are expected to happen in the 2018 broadcast season? Well, keep in mind for ABC in the opener on May, March 11th, ABC has not named a lead announcer for that event. Keep in mind, uh, for instance, Alan Bestwick at the Indianapolis 500 and 
Jerry Punch, uh, Dr. Jerry Punch, were released from their contracts at the end after the Indianapolis 500 from ESPN. So they are no longer with ESPN. Uh, obviously, Scott Goodyear and Eddie Cheever probably will be back. But the question is, who is going to be that lead announcer for uh, the Indianapolis 500 and for the events that ABC is signed for? Obviously, I don't think things are going to change for NBCSN. You'll probably see Paul Tracy, Townsend Bell, and Lee Diffie again, and possibly Steve Matchett for some events. But beyond that, uh, the options are limited, and I'll be very curious to see who ESPN announces uh, for their lead announcer. One person I'd like to see them take a look at, I know it's probably not going to be a good chance, but I'd like to see Lindsay Zarniak uh, get possibly a look for that role. She's done a great job as the host the last few years for the Indy 500 pre-race show. And if she's up for it, I think that would be one option I would look at as far as maybe the announcer for the Indy 500 be the first time a female announcer would be the master ceremonies uh, for a race broadcast at Speedway. I think that would be a big deal. Well, it'll be a huge deal, uh, and, and we'll see how all that that, that pans out. Obviously, the, the 24-hour out in Dubai is going on. Any highlights you want to share about that, sir? I believe, who was it? I think, I know that race was over er, earlier this morning. I didn't see who was the winner of that event. I know Manthe Forster was leading at the halfway, but I know they broke, but I don't remember off the top of my head who won that race. But that race is in the books now. I believe it was like a Porsche or a Mercedes, I think, that won it. I uh, missed that one. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, if, if I can survive, uh, that's for sure. Matthew Embry of, uh, of Open Wheel now. Uh, we need to wrap it up and put a bowl on it. But, uh, uh, Matt, uh, just uh, anything that you want to add, any points you want to put out there about IndyCar that we haven't talked about today, or, or Open Wheel for that matter? A lot of stuff going on. Of course, we talked about the table this weekend. Be very curious to see what happens at Houston for the second round of the AMA Supercross Series. Uh, big surprise winner in the 450, Marvin Muskeen in round one. And, of course, the big question is, when will Eli Tomac be back? He was supposed to be the series' favorite. Won Red Bud last year, this past summer. Suffered a separated shoulder in a crash while leading the main event in the season opener last weekend at Anaheim. So he's off the slate for this weekend. Be very curious to see uh, what happens with a more wide-open 450. With him not in the mix, does someone like a Ken Rotz who's made an incredible comeback from injury challenge again? Or will we see uh, Mr. Moosecan, a guy that's not been necessarily a competitive driver or rider at the 450 level, continue his run? And then obviously the 250 ranks should be very interesting to see how the Easterners do in their first race of the season after a great opener on the West Coast. And talk about uh, big events. Uh, they just announced that for the Indianapolis round for the 250, it will be the best of the best in West Showdown. There will be two East-West Showdowns this year, one at Las Vegas for the 250s. Lucas Oil Stadium will have the first of those two coming up in a few months from now. So if you do not have tickets for that event in the Indianapolis area, I suggest get them as soon as you can because that is going to be an event you do not want to miss. Well, absolutely. We've been talking with Matt Embry of, uh, open, at Open Wheel, and I know you're uh, here in Indiana as well. Any uh, thoughts on who the next coach of the Indianapolis Colts would be? That's a good question. I, I got to say right now, the options are getting few and far between. And the longer they wait, I keep hearing Nick Saban, but considering how bad he was with the Miami Dolphins, I'd say that's way too risky and off. I mean, it's good in the short term as far as getting tickets and interest, but 
I'd say right now look for one of the top coordinators, something like that, that will mesh well with Andrew Luck if and when he comes back and is in uniform, uh, hopefully for the 2018 opener this fall. Well, it won't be Nick Saban. I can I can guarantee you that. I think it, we we they've narrowed it down to a couple people, uh, and we'll be talking about that as as we as we get later on into the show. But certainly, you got to look at, at McDaniel's from New England. And one of the things you're not going to be able to, they're not going to be able to talk about if even if they've reached an agreement with them, is because there's still a New England season is uh, still going on. Any uh, picks for the Super Bowl, sir? I think New England's the favorite there. And speaking of the Colts, don't forget, for those of you that listen in South Bend, 96.1 FM, the station I work for is now the Colts affiliate, and they will start being the Colts affiliate this upcoming preseason. So if you're looking for Colts action here up in northern Indiana, we are the place to find it. Well, there you go. You'll be able to hear Bob Lamey go, he fumbled the ball. He fumbled the ball. That game is just out of control. (laughs) Good old Bob Lamey. Got to love the radio broadcast on the Indianapolis Coach uh, Network. So I'm glad that you guys are are taking uh, taking that on as well. Matt Matt Embry uh, from On Open Wheel uh, now getting us caught up on the offseason, the funny season with IndyCar. Matt, we appreciate you joining us. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Twitter, M-A-T-T-E-M-B-U-R-Y, and, of course, popularopenwheel.com. And like I said, that Indy invincibility question about Andretti, that is the lead story currently on that website. Again, popularopenwheel.com. Matt, we appreciate you joining us, and you have yourself a good and safe week, sir. Thank you, Tom. Matt Embry, uh, Matthew Embry of, of Open Wheel, uh, now our official IndyCar contributor and certainly add, add, adds a lot of value and knowledge to our show when it comes to IndyCar. My name is Tom Marquis El Presidente. We'll be back here coming up here in the next hour. It's going to be Ed Kratz. Rick Riggin is underneath the weather today. I know how he feels. I was that way last week, that's for sure. And then Mo for the BS Sports Show will be joining us later on in the next hour. And we're going to be breaking down this NFL playoff, who's going to the Super Bowl, who's not. We're going to jump on the conversation about these coaching changes. Obviously, one of the biggest ones affected here locally in the Indianapolis area is the Indianapolis Colts. And also, you know, the draft picks and a lot to talk about and unpack still with the NFL right here on the Balance Radio Network. You're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. 
It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like, early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Marklesdale, President. Hey! Thank you very much, Mr. Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, uh, talking with us a little bit about the off-season with IndyCar and open wheel. There's certainly a lot of ch- a lot of changes going on inside the paddocks uh, in, uh, with IndyCar. A lot of things uh, different, uh, new chassis, new, tire, uh, new rain tires, and a lot of uh, driver switches and, and things. a lot of things going on in the off-season as we get ready for the 2018 IndyCar season. As, as you know very well here on the show, we uh, cover uh, racing quite extensively, and certainly we'll be uh, talking uh, NASCAR here in the next week or so, uh, again with uh, speed, uh, uh, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, our official contributor uh, for NASCAR. And we've got the granddaddy of them all, the Daytona 500, coming up in just a few short weeks. And guess what? The NASCAR season will be back underway, and uh, we uh, will have another season going with NASCAR. So we'll be uh, getting in full uh, steam ahead on on that as well. But joining us now is Mr. Ed Kratz, our official NFL contributor, beat writer for the 
uh, Philadelphia Eagles and USA Today. Game day, Mr. Ed. How are you, sir? Yeah, I'm doing great. Pumped up for some football this weekend. Well, it's just you and I because uh, Rick is underneath the the, the weather. Uh, apparently, he's got exactly what I had last week, and uh, I had a temperature of 103. He has a temperature of 102. So uh, this uh, flu strain is pretty nasty uh, this this year, almost as nasty as the weather that we got yesterday. Yesterday, uh, not near as bad as you guys got last week, but. Uh, certainly uh, a lot of ice. We had a big ice storm here yesterday morning, so uh, we're, we're getting dug out from that. that. That's for sure. Well, you know, we want to talk about the, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Atlanta Falcons. We will get to that here in just a moment. But I kind of just want to go through this coaching carousel, if we will. As you know, the, it, I'll take some pancakes. <laughs> I'm sorry, my son's putting his request in for, uh, for his breakfast here. Hey, I, I understand. Well, come come man. on over. I, come I'll, on over. I'll take pancakes. You're welcome. To, uh, you're, welcome. you're welcome. Come on by. I'll be, get through. Uh, I'll, be, uh, I'll be right over. Well, let's talk a little bit about some <laughs> of the coaching uh, stuff that's going on. Uh, certainly we know big news, uh, big splash, big home run hit, if you will. Uh, the Oakland Raiders have made it official that everyone knew the worst-kept secret in the world, that uh, John Gruden had been convinced to leave ESPN Monday Night Football booth and return to the Raiders uh, nearly 20 years to the day uh, after they hired him for the first time. And it's a, you know, it's a pretty big deal. It's uh, $10 million a year for 10 years. Uh, I, think, I don't know how much of that's guaranteed, but that's a $100 million contract. Certainly not the biggest contract out there. Uh, but uh, a pretty hefty one uh, for a coach. Uh, so John Gruden returns to the Oakland Raiders. Thoughts? Uh, I think it's ridiculous that they paid him that much money, to be honest. <laughs> uh, really, I, I mean, is he really going to come back and take that team to a Super Bowl? I mean, to me, John Gruden is just kind of a caricature at this point, isn't he? He's, after his Monday night shtick that mm-hmm. he did for years and years and Everybody with the Coach Chucky thing. I mean, I, I don't know if he can coach. I know he runs that quarterback camp. And, I, you know, I think he will help Derek Carr. Derek Carr took a big step backward uh, this year. But, listen, I, I'm not sure he can win in this league anymore. And when he won, it was so long ago. Uh, you know, I don't know if he can still do that. But, uh, you know, the Raiders think he can, and they're willing to pay a heck of a lot of money to, to see if he can. Well, leave it to the Raiders. The Raiders always seem to do something that we scratch our heads about. So uh, we'll, we'll see how, how all of that, that that comes together. Of course, we know about the Chicago Bears acted quickly in, in, when it came to hiring their head coach, uh, uh, and they hired uh, Matt Nagy. Now, here's the thing that I kind of want to clear up. From the local media standpoint here in Indianapolis, I know a lot of people thought that Nagy was offered the job here at Indianapolis, and he turned it down to go to Chicago. I, I, from what everything that I'm hearing locally here, that was never the case. They did talk with Nagy. Uh, they had a conversation with Nagy, but that's about as far as it went. He was never offered a job, and he never turned down a job. Here, he was offered a job in Chicago, and he accepted that job. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with Matt Nagy. I think it's a good hire for Chicago, but there's a lot of things to do there at Chicago, and one of the things that Chicago's got to do is get out of their own way. And Ryan Pace, the general manager there, has to get out of the way and let the coach be the coach as well. Because in, in, in all reality, I think uh, John Fox is a good coach. He just wasn't allowed to coach a, a team that doesn't want to be get good anymore. I think that's just what, we, what we're getting from the Chicago Bears. Thoughts on Nagy going to the Chicago Bears? 
Yeah, you're right about them having to get out of their own way. Uh, they also have to find somebody to develop Mitchell Trubisky, uh, and they think Nagy can do that. I think I think one of the best moves Nagy made since he came on board, or Pace, whoever made the decision, was to bring back Vic Fangio as the defensive coordinator. Uh, there had been a lot of talk that Fangio was going to leave to be a D.C. in Philadelphia should Jim Schwartz leave. Uh, you know, other teams are looking for defensive coordinators, and I think Fangio – is a very good defensive coordinator. So now you have, you know, that hierarchy in place with Nagy and, and uh, Fangio. And you're right. You hope uh, Ryan Pace can let them just be coaches. Uh, but Nagy, I think, can work with Trubisky, and that's kind of what they're looking for. I think, you know, everybody's kind of looking for the next, uh, you know, great quarterback whisperer like we saw with uh, 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 McVay and Jared Goff out in L.A. And then we've seen to an extent with, you know, Doug Peterson and Frank Reich and John Filippo here in Philadelphia with Carson Wentz and, and his development. So uh, I think that's what the Bears hope they have, that they have someone that can develop Trubisky uh, and have him live up to the uh, prospect of being the second pick in the, that he was in the draft last year. The Arizona Cardinals, uh, here's a fun fact. The Cardinals don't have a single quarterback signed to their roster right now, and, and their lack of a coach and a quarterback uh, might cause some fans uh, to panic a little bit. But let's not forget, five years ago, uh, uh, Steve Kelm, I think is their GM, uh, uh, signed uh, Bruce Arians, obviously, from the Colts, and then also Carson Palmer. Neither one of those, I think, won the, won the press over or won the press conference, if that's something that you have to do. But certainly, it's, to get off on the right foot, you want to win the press conference. Uh, but certainly, uh, over the tenure of Bruce Arians and Carson Palmer, uh, they enjoyed uh, some winning seasons. So uh, certainly, there's a, a mixed bag of candidates for there as well. Who do you think ends up as the coach of the Arizona Cardinals, or who do you think is the best fit for them as far as the people they're talking to at this moment? Well, I mean, I think that's the most wide-open search at this point. I don't think they've really kind of narrowed in on it. I think their owner is kind of taking his time uh, to try to find somebody, which, you know, I'm not sure that's the best strategy, although I don't really sometimes see what the rush is. But, you know, you don't want to wait too long either. Uh, And remember, there's still – you know, eight teams playing that have viable candidates uh, to be head coaches. So he may be waiting to interview uh, somebody from one of the staffs of the teams that's still alive playing this weekend. Um, But I I really don't know. Without a quarterback in the fold, you're you're not sure which direction you want to go. I know I think the strength of that Cardinals team is their defense, uh, and maybe they go the defensive route. Um, But, you know, they're going to draft pretty high. There's going to be a lot of quarterbacks available, and they need to find a quarterback uh, that they can start to groom. So maybe they take that road. They go with the offensive-minded person, and they draft a quarterback with their first pick and try to develop them. For them, I think it's just kind of they're really taking their time, you know, and we're going to have to wait and see on them. They'll probably be the last team to hire a coach at this point, I would guess. Well, you're right, and I think two of the top people that would, depending, again, which direction are they wanting to focus on? Are they wanting to focus on the defensive side or the offensive side? A lot of times that kind of gives, lets you play the hand of, of where they're going to hire a coach, but, you know, the two people there are still playing. You've got uh, Matt Patricia, uh, the defensive coordinator for New England, is a hot name that's being brought up to any team that really wants to focus on the de- defensive side uh, of the ball, and, Pat, and then Pat Schumer, uh, offensive coordinator for uh, Minnesota uh, as well. And so a lot of people think that Pat, Matt P- Patricia uh, ends up in uh, uh, Arizona, but but we'll, we'll see. The Detroit Lions 
you know, I, I kind of felt like that, that Jim Caldwell, yet again, two times in his career here at Indianapolis, he kind of didn't really need to be fired, but was fired. They left left him out there flapping around for a while. And then uh, Detroit picked him up, and I don't know that necessarily that he deserved to be fired, but nonetheless, the, the, the Lions have uh, uh, went on from uh, – Jim Caldwell, thoughts on 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 their uh, 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 vacancy? I know they're also talking about Matt Patricia. Our, they're talking to Josh McDaniels. We're talking to Josh McDaniels. Everybody's talking to Pat, Pat Schumer and then Mike Barbel of uh, of Houston. Those are some of the top names. Again, some of these teams are already playing, and we don't know. But uh, thoughts on Detroit? Well, I think you know you mentioned. Um... Matt Patricia being somebody in Arizona to keep an eye on, I guess he could be someone in Detroit to kind of keep an eye on too. I know he has, you know, there's talk that he has a good relationship with um, the Lions general manager, uh, Quinn, Bob Quinn. Uh, So, you know, they could parlay that and hire Matt Patricia to be their next head coach. And, um, you know, this is an organization I think that's gone with the defensive coordinator in the past. You know, they fired, you know, Jim Caldwell and they hired Jim Schwartz years ago. He turned around that 0-16 team. And, uh, you know, and now it looks like they're going to head that direction now. You know, uh, Mike Vrabel is an interesting candidate. You know, he played for the Patriots, played under Belichick. I mean, he could be uh, someone a little bit under the radar. Uh, but, but, you know, I'm not sure he's – maybe teams don't think he's quite ready uh, to take over a head coaching job. Uh, but, you know, I think Patricia would probably be the – leading candidate there and I think they like their offensive coordinator who's got you know one of the great all-time names right uh, Jim Bob Cooter uh, as their offensive coordinator <laughs> <laughs> so so I think they want to keep Cooter for hire uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know they want to keep him to work with Stafford so I think they will go defense and whether it's Patricia or Vrabel I mean it could be Vrabel under the wire you know it won't be uh, Jim Schwartz in Philly again Uh, you know he's already been there done that so uh, it seems like one of those two guys are probably the front runners at this point Patricia or Vrabel well I know we like Brable as as well. And, you know, moving on to the Indianapolis Colts, you know, we got a lot of uh, things to unpack. Really, at the end of the day, the Indianapolis Colts have a great draft pick. Who do they pick? You know, there's the logic part of your brain that says, hey, we need to get somebody to uh, uh, come in and, and be a good lineman or a, a good a protection for Andrew Luck. you got Chubb out there, which a lot of people like. There's that kid from – uh, Texas, that tackle from Texas that a lot of people like uh, in our for our draft pick. And then, of course, you've got the kid from Penn State, Sean Barkley, that you're very familiar with as well, is going to be snatched up. So the logical part of your brain that says, hey, here's what I have to do is get somebody to, on our line. But the selfish part of our of ourself that says, hey, we got a number three draft pick, we can always trade down and trade up and get a lineman later on in the draft. Uh, but and then you might say uh, running backs are a dime a dozen, but Shaquan Barkley is not part of that dozen. So your selfish part of your brain wants to say, hey, let's snag up Shaquan Bar- Barkley because if not, Cleveland probably will because of the way they're structured within the draft. So well, before we get into the coaching conversation about the Indianapolis Colts, they've got the number three pick. What are your thoughts on who the Indianapolis Colts should pick and then maybe who they will pick? Well, 
Yeah, I, I, I used to say court, uh, running backs are a dime a dozen, and then I saw Ezekiel Elliott come in the league and do what he's done, uh, and that really opened some eyes. And you know, but then you look at guys like Christian McCaffrey in Carolina, who was taken in the top ten last year, and you know, I don't think he really had the impact that a lot of people thought he would. But uh, you know, you do see a lot of backs come into the league late. You know, uh, Alvin Kamara was a second round pick in the Orleans, and you know, he might win Rookie of the Year and you know, Kareem Hunt was uh, picked later, and uh, Dalvin Cook, who tore his ACL in Minnesota, he was picked in the second round. I mean, these are all good backs that you can find a little bit later. But I think, you know, Barkley is in that Elliott class, having watched him here at Penn State. And, boy, I love to watch him play. And as good as he is on the field, he's just a terrific kid off the field. He's a winner. He's a class act. He wanted to play in that game at a time when you see a lot of these kids bail out on their bowl games because they don't want to get hurt and and jeopardize their NFL careers unless you're in the playoff, you know, the the college football playoff. These kids are just taking uh, seats and not playing in the bowl game. Barkley didn't want to do that. Barkley wanted to play. He loves to play. He loves his teammates. He's a great ambassador for Penn State. He speaks very highly of the university. I mean, he's a great kind of kid to have in a locker room. And, you know, the things I've read about Indianapolis and talked to some people is that locker room needs as many of those guys as it can get. It's a very me-first kind of a selfish-based locker room, and Saquon Barkley could come in and help change that culture. But you are taking number three. I, I, I love Barkley. I would love that pick there. But you also have to look at the offensive line, like you mentioned. Uh, you know, Andrew Luck has not been able to stay healthy. He, he's still struggling to get back on the field. Um, and the reason he is in this situation is because he had a terrible offensive line. So do you take that chance and, and pick an offensive lineman early at number three or maybe do like you said the trade back, but there's some talent on the line in the draft. That kid from Notre Dame, you could just stay right there uh, uh, in Indiana and take uh, uh, Mike McGlinchey or, like you mentioned, that kid from Oklahoma, Orlando Brown. Those are those are premier offensive tackles. And, uh, you know, you could draft your tackle for the next 10 years if you go that direction. Um, but, again, I think the Colts have to determine where Andrew Luck is in his rehab and how healthy he will be come springtime, uh, see if he's going to be able to answer the bell for all 16 games uh, in 2018. And, you know, maybe you go for a quarterback to start to groom. If you don't think Andrew Luck can come back, I'd be surprised if they did it. But let's wait and see. So let's see how he handles OTAs and then the minicamp, uh, you know, in May and June before – uh, making that decision. And by then, of course, the draft will have happened, so you're going to have to make some decisions. You could probably get a quarterback later. You're going to have that first pick early in the second round, so there could be some quarterbacks there you could take. Um, but, I listen, I don't think you can really – you can't make a mistake is what you can't do. But I don't think you will if you stick to your board and you look at a Saquon Barkley or a Mike McGlinchey or Orlando Brown, or if you think you can trade down a couple spots and still get one of those guys, then maybe you go that way and try and pick up a pick later in the draft. There's going to be plenty of options for the Colts. That's the one great thing about having a rotten year is now you get the excitement of trying to replenish that roster and, uh, and look ahead to the draft and you can follow the, the senior bowl and the combine knowing that you're going to have one of the premier picks in the draft. That's, that's the best. That's what, the, what makes part of what makes the NFL so fun to follow is because your team might not be very good, but then you still have that excitement that you know you're going to be able to get a very good player early on in the draft. So the Colts just have to make the right decision. And I, I think they will. Uh, I think it's kind of hard to screw up that early pick. And I, and I don't think they will. I think they'll have some good choices and I think they'll make the right call with whatever they think they need to, to do there. 
Well, I think you're right. And I think you talk about winning the press conference. Chris Ballard has really won over the local media here. And, you know, uh, real quickly on that, I, I, I think I have just by pro- process of elimination, just my, my crossing off uh, names and looking at who they're talking to, who they're not, not talking to, I think I've got it figured out who, who the coach is going to be with my great intellect. But we, I, we, we don't know. We just, we just don't know. But Chris Ballard has been very, was very, very clear that he was going to be very thorough and very deliberate and, and that it was going to be a vast search. And, and when we saw them talk to uh, 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 Baylor's head coach, Matt Rule, this week, now he decided that he was going to go back to Baylor. So here's kind of my process of, of elimination. First of all, why would you go back to Baylor when just a year ago you were, like, so close to getting the death penalty from the NCAA? Uh, and why wouldn't you want to go to the Colts? Because you weren't offered the job at the Colts. That would be one reason why you wouldn't want to go to the Colts and why you knew that you weren't going to get that job, so you took the job back at, at Baylor. So he's off the list. They were talking to Matt Nagy. Uh, they got, he got hired by the Bears, so he's off the list. They were talking to uh, – Defensive uh, uh, coordinator Chris Richard of the Seahawks, he decided that he was going to turn down an interview because he heard, now again, he said, she said, we don't know, but because he heard that the Colts were focused in on a offensive co- uh, candidate. So then that, uh, uh, Steve Wilkes of the Panthers uh I think is also going to decline an interview for the very same reason. So that much has gotten out of the camp that they are looking for an offensive candidate. Again, expecting full force that Andrew Luck will be back. So we don't have any indication to believe that Andrew Luck will not be back. So what happens now is, and I, I would not be surprised if they still have a, don't have a conversation with Dave Taub. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Josh McDaniels and Ballard share the same agent, Bob Lamonte. Also, Josh McDaniels has, was the very first person that they, that they interviewed. Also, Josh McDaniel is a o- great offensive coordinator. He'll be a great offensive coach. He'll be a great fit for Andrew Luck. They can't talk about it right now because the New England Patriots most likely, as we all would like to think if we're going to make a guess, unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, the Patriots will be back in the Super Bowl. So it might be February before we know who – if it goes that long, if it, if it goes in the next week or so, I think you can pretty much, by, by process of elimination, say the next coach of the Indianapolis Colts will be uh, Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels. There you have it. You heard it from me, sir. Just letting you know. Well, <laughs> let me ask you this, <laughs> and that's great. That's great. You know, uh, that's a great breakdown, and you, you could be right. But how would that play for someone like yourself, who, and probably a lot of folks in Indiana, uh, don't like the New England Patriots? To bring in someone from the New England Patriots, how would that make you feel? Hey, you know, actually, you know, you 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 love what you you love what you hate, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah. What, what, what's the old saying? Keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. I I, I mean, right. I think certainly there would be a lot of knowledge that he could. One of the things that I, is on our bucket list is to be able to beat the New England Patriots. And certainly, don't you think that his knowledge with the New England Patriots would help build a game plan that can, in fact, beat the New England Patriots? And he trained under Bill Belichick. And say what you want about Bill Belichick. Yes, he has his problems. Uh, but he is also one of the best coaches ever to coach the game. And if you've been taught by that person, I mean, look at how many successful coaches we have that have been taught by Nick Saban. 
When you have a coach that's been coached by one of the best, logic has it. And that's another reason why I think that, that Josh McDaniels would be a good hire. But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's get into to the games because I know we've got you for a limited amount of time because it is game day. You're a little bit worried about Jolly O St. Nick. Uh, Nick Foles uh, coming in and, and taking the, the, the reins uh, from Carson Wentz. Unfortunate with Carson Wentz. He was going to be the MVP for sure. But you got the Falcons coming in. You got Ryan coming in. You've got a moderately inexperienced quarterback, Nick Foles, at the helm. You got a very experienced quarterback in the playoffs uh, with, with Ryan with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, but at the, at the same time, Philadelphia definitely has home field advantage. Uh, you, you've got the weather elements that you're used to that they're not so used to playing in. There's a lot of things that can go to your advantage. And let's face it, you guys got to be the number one seed, even if, and a lot of people might, you might disagree with this, but a lot of people say you are the weakest number one seed. And because Carson Wentz isn't playing today, you guys aren't very uh, favored to win this game. But I think, I still believe, go ahead, tell me why the, the Philadelphia Eagles are going to beat the Atlanta Falcons today. Or not. Well, I think they're going to beat Atlanta. Well, I, I picked them to win twenty. I picked the Eagles to win twenty to nineteen, and I think how they'll be able to beat them is if you believe that a football game is won ultimately in the trenches, the so-called trenches on the offensive and defensive lines, then the Eagles will win. Because simply put, they're just better on both sides of the ball. Their offensive line is better. Their defensive line is better. The Eagles are number one against the run. Okay, they only give up seventy-nine yards a game last week. In the Falcons' win over the Rams, they ran the ball 38 times, and they controlled the clock for more than 15 minutes more than the Rams did. That's what they want to do, but they're not going to be able, I don't think, to run the ball against this Eagles defense. No team really has, to any great success, done that. So that makes them one-dimensional, and that puts it on the, the shoulders of Matt Ryan and his great receiving core of Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu. But again, this is where, if you think the Games one in the trenches. I think the Eagles can put pressure on the Atlanta Falcons offensive line. They're missing one of their top guards in uh, Andy Levitre. They have a kid starting at guard from the Air Force Academy, Ben Garland, who's you know great kid from what I've heard. Uh, but can he hold up against Fletcher Cox and Tim Jernigan? If the Eagles are able to get inside pressure on Matt Ryan and make it tough for him to step up in the pocket, and then you bring guys off the edge like Brandon Graham, uh, Vinnie Curry. Chris Long, who's had a tremendous year, and rookie Derek Barnett, I think they can make life very difficult for Matt Ryan. Remember last year, the Atlanta Falcons came into Philadelphia in November, flying along, averaging 33 points a game uh, last season on their way to the Super Bowl. They came into Philly, and Philly just shut their offense down, held them to 15 points. And the reason Philly was able to do that was because they controlled the clock in that game. They had the ball for 38 minutes to about 20, you know, 22 or three, whatever's left for the Falcons. So the Falcons offense was parked on the bench. So you flip it to the other side. I think the Eagles run game of LeGarrette Blunt and Jay Ajayi, who they're going to rely on heavily today, I believe, Jay Ajayi, uh, they will be able to run the ball against the Falcons. The Falcons are a small defense. They're very fast. Yes, they're very quick to the ball. They're very quick to rally to the ball, but they're very small. If you keep pounding on them, if you keep hammering them with the run game by the third and fourth quarter, I think they're going to wear down. So that's why I think the Eagles have a shot in this game is I think they're just better on both sides of the ball. 
uh, on the line of scrimmage, well, who, I should say, offensive and defensive lines. Yes, and whoever wins, uh, you know, I, I just I, I think you guys got a shot at, at at getting a shot at the Super Bowl. Minnesota is going to be tough. I mean, they're they're the number two season. In, 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 in logic, it could come down to one and two on the NFC. I think it's it's a much t- tougher race on the NFC than it is the AFC side. But New Orleans, uh, they put a wampum on Carolina. And you know what? I, I kind of thought the Carolina and, – and I know I'm a little selfish and biased for rooting for the Panthers, but at the same time, I expected the Carolina Panthers to play a much better game against New Orleans. So here's, here's the thing. Minnesota is the team to beat in the NFC to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, uh, Minnesota – but then the good thing for you guys is if you can meet up with Minnesota, it's it's – you know, basically a wash when it comes to the quarterback situation with Case Keenan and Nick uh, uh, Nick Foles as well. So you look at New Orleans and Minnesota, I would think that most Eagle fans are rooting uh, for Minnesota in this game. I mean, I'm sorry, New yeah, Orleans I, in this game, but go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, I they, they could be. Um, you know, we'll see how Saturday plays out, you know, when they play against the Falcons. But, yeah, I think these are the two best teams in the NFC that are left, you know, because Carson Wentz, you know, he's not he's not around. So, you know, that that's definitely a, a liability for the Eagles. So I think the Saints and the Vikings, and it's the last game of the weekend, which is a terrific way to end, uh, you know, a weekend is with this game. But, uh, you know, you're right. I mean, these two teams played earlier in the year. Uh, I think that it was uh, Minnesota – that came out and beat the Saints in that game. I think they won by 10 points. <clears throat> so it's kind of a rematch. But that game was so long ago. Uh, I think Sam Bradford was the quarterback of the Vikings that day. He's not, uh, you know, he's the backup now, I think. Or maybe it's uh, Teddy Bridgewater at this point. But, you know, that Vikings team is very well balanced on offense and defense. The Saints, of course, they didn't run the ball real well against Carolina's defense last week. That's a little bit of a concern coming in. Uh, if you have to put this game on Drew Brees' shoulders, that's going to be difficult. I know he's a great quarterback, you know, Hall of Fame guy. He's won a Super Bowl, but um, <clears throat> it's going to be a tall ask for, for Drew Brees. I think Minnesota will probably win this game. They're at home. You know, they want to probably try to get to the Super Bowl where they'll be at home again. Um, and it's just a terrific matchup. And you're right as far as the AFC teams go. I mean, I saw on Twitter people saying it looks like, uh, you know, the Patriots and the Steelers have another bye week uh, this weekend because Jacksonville or Tennessee, there's no – prayer for those teams to come into the home stadiums of those two teams and win this game. So, and they might be right, you know, after what we saw last weekend when, when both Tennessee and Jacksonville really struggled to score points to go against, you know, a defense like the Steelers and the Patriots have, uh, it's going to be tough for any team to do, but, uh, you know, it looks like those two teams are playing the AFC championship game and the, and in the NFC side, you're going to have four teams that are really going to battle it out. And, you know, I do think Minnesota is the best team that's left. New Orleans is second, and then, you know, then you have the Eagles-Falcons. The winner of that game would be the third-best team, in my opinion, left in the NFC. But, uh, you know, on the AFC side, it's clearly New England and, and the Steelers. Now, Jacksonville has beaten the Steelers this year, uh, but I don't think, you know, Ben Roethlisberger is going to throw five interceptions like he did in that game either. I think the Steelers will run the ball more with Le'Veon Bell, and, and, they'll, and they'll beat the Jaguars for sure. We're talking with Ed Kratz. I know we only got you here for just a few more minutes. Real quickly, guys, there is some breaking news out of Houston, Texas. They they signed uh, general manager Brian Gain to an, a five-year contract extension and gave head coach Bill O'Brien 
a four-year contract extension. So the Texans are solid in what they were going to do. You mentioned uh, Tennessee. Uh, I, I, wow, I was floored when I saw them come back and beat Kansas City. We went from, hey, uh, M- uh, Malarkey is, is done. He's toast. He's going to be on the, on the looking for another job to he secures his job. And now we ask, does Andy Reid get, get to keep his job? So far, he does, but we don't know. Uh, so you got Tennessee and New England. I, yeah, I can't see in a real world where Tennessee could beat New England. However, we would have said the same thing about Tennessee beating Kansas City. Uh, New England's tough. It's going to be tough for them to get past that. Jacksonville, same thing. You, you would have to have uh, uh, Ben Roethlisberger uh, throw throw significant amount of interceptions for Jacksonville to to win. So, you know, I, I think logically it would it would happen, but just for purposes of of S and Ls, uh, just for the purposes of that, wouldn't it be something to see the Super Bowl represented from the AFC South? Well, it sure would. Uh, <laughs> they have to. It's going to be tough because you're going to have to knock off, uh, you know, two of the premier teams here. But it, would it be great to see the Titans and Jags in the AFC championship game if you're, you know, a fan of the AFC South? Absolutely. And, boy, what a shock that would be. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. Maybe one of those teams can rise up, but I don't know which one it would be. Um, you know, I like the fact that Marcus Mariota is in there. I like the fact that Tennessee is doesn't have DeMarco Murray, and now they're just turning it over to Derrick Henry. I love I love Derrick Henry, the way he loves to, runs the ball. Big guy, young guy. Uh, I like the fact that he's going to carry the load when they hand the ball off. Uh, and if Mariota can find a way to make some plays, then, then maybe it's the Titans uh, that rise up. I mean, you could make a case for them to, to do that, or you can make a case for the Jaguars because their defense, you know, if they can sack Roethlisberger, we all know what pressure does to a quarterback and how different it makes them play. So if the Jags, you know, can get, get that sack attack going, or even if they can just pressure Roethlisberger, he's not as mobile as he's been in the past. Uh, they can make life difficult for Pittsburgh. So it's not out of the question that one of those teams could win. I just don't think it's likely at this level. Uh, both these teams, the Titans and Jags, don't have that experience that the Steelers and the Patriots have. Uh, it's going to be a, a tough order for them to do that, I think. Joining us now is Mo for the BS Sports Show. Uh, and, Ed, I know we've got to let you go here in just a moment. But before we do, Mo, do you have anything for Ed as far as uh, the Falcons and the Eagles uh, today? Any any thoughts or questions that you might have about that particular game? Well, I mean, to me, it seems like so many people are, are so high on the Falcons and picking the Falcons that it seems to me that it feels like the perfect storm for, uh, you know, a, a good day for the Eagles. I, I really feel that uh, – you know, the Eagles are a pretty cohesive unit that, you know, it's a team other than obviously having a quarterback step in that they've been a, a top team all year long. And Ed, I, I know you're on the team all the time. Is the feeling in the locker room like the transition can be seamless from uh, from Carson Wentz to this team going out and winning a playoff game today? Well, I, you know, I think it's taken a while for them to get over the fact that Carson Wentz got hurt. You know, I think you can say what you want. Uh, that you know your pros next guy up you're supposed to move on but you know Carson Wentz was a wildly popular guy in that locker room the team felt bad for him uh, I think it's taken them a couple weeks to kind of digest that hey he's gone and now we do have to move on uh, in the locker room this week I kind of sensed a uh, 
a very business-like attitude, whereas the last couple of weeks were kind of loosey-goosey, guys goofing around in the locker room. I didn't get a lot of that this week. It seemed to be business. Guys seemed to be talking with kind of a, an edge to their voice. I think a lot of them feel disrespected in the fact that, uh, you know, here we are, the number one seed, and it's not because of Jess, Carson, Wentz. You know, we're a roster of 53 guys, and everyone has contributed this year. So for them to say that we're not going to win or that we should be the underdogs just because Wentz isn't with us is kind of disrespecting the rest of the roster. So I think, you know, they've kind of drawn off some of that as motivation. Um, And I think you would probably know, Mo, as the Eagles are the first underdog number one team in the playoffs against the number six team since the odds became readily available back in 1985. I mean, that's never happened before. The number one seed has been an underdog to a six seed uh, at this stage of the playoffs. So, uh, you know, I think that that's kind of been some fuel for their fire. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, the Brent Selleck, the longtime Eagle talked to the team that, you know, the last playoff game he was in was back in 09. Last time this team won a playoff game at home was in 2007. Uh, so he's tried to preach that, look, we have to take advantage of this opportunity because it doesn't come along every year. You can't take it for granted. Uh, you know, and this is still a relatively young team at some of the key positions. So, uh, you know, if they let that message sink in, I think they're going to rise up. I think they're going to play well. And like I told Tom earlier, I think they are going to find a way to win this game. Uh, it's not going to be an easy uh, thing for them to do. But you're right, not a lot of people have given them that chance. But I, for one, happen to think that they have a great chance to play well. And I think they will play well. I think they have a great chance to win. Ed Kratz, official beat writer uh, for the uh, uh, Philadelphia Eagles for USA Today and our NFL contributor. Ed, I know you got to get going because it is game day for you. Uh, where can people find your work and your masterpieces? And I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to be watching the game 435 on, on NBC uh, this afternoon, and I'm going to be re- wearing something green and saying, Go Eagles. So you got, you got my vote at least. Go ahead, buddy. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Kratzee, K-R-A-C-Z-E, and uh, that's where I put all my stuff. All right, Ed, you have yourself a good uh, game day. Go Eagles. All right, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Mo uh, sticks around with us here, and we're going to continue our conversation about the, the, the playoffs and the coaching carousel. So let's, let's just kind of break it down. We'll kind of uh, go through some of the, the coaching positions that Ed and I did earlier. But at the same time, we, we want to just kind of uh, – we, we will get to the Colts, and there's a lot to talk about with that. But and I, I will tell you in a moment how I came to the, to the conclusion of who I think is going to be the next coach – of the Indianapolis Colts, and maybe you'll agree with me or maybe you won't. Let's talk about this. Well, it's almost comical, but, I mean, I don't know who's laughing all the way to the bank. I mean, it's it's comical, but, hey, uh, if you could do it, you could do it. John Gruden gets 10 years with the Oakland Oakland Raiders, uh, $10 million a year, roughly $100 million. I don't know how much of that's guaranteed, but I, I think a significant portion of that is guaranteed. So yeah, someone tells me, hey, uh, will you pay me a hundred? I'll pay you a hundred million dollars if you leave ESPN. It won't take me long to pack my bags and get on a plane to come your way to collect my hundred million dollars. So uh, who's laughing? John Gruden's laughing all the way to the bank. But at the same time, is John Gruden still relevant in the NFL? I don't know. According to the Raiders, he is, Mo. But what are your thoughts on the Raiders hiring John Gruden as their coach? Oh, and by the way, 
the Raiders hired John Gruden as their coach. <laughs> well, I mean, first off, rumor has it that, you know, with all the issues that have gone on ESPN, that they were going to ask John Gruden to take a little bit of a pay cut, which I don't think sat well. Uh, you know, it's a job he was he was really good at that he can go back to. Uh, I don't think he was having as much fun with Sean McDonough as he did with Mike Tirico. I think that, that fed into it too. But for the Raiders, you know, they've still got, uh, you know, two years in Oakland to get through. And I think John Gruden helps bridge that gap uh, for the fans, uh, same, similar to what they did with Marshawn Lynch being a hometown boy coming in last year. And I think it brings some excitement to Las Vegas too. You've got, you know, one of the biggest faces in football uh, because of his, his job he's done in, in football, but on Monday Night Football the last nine years. Um, you know, from everything said about John Gruden, is that the guy is merciless in watching tape and film. Uh, but I think what he's done so far and just some of the hirings he's made for his coaching staff, uh, I, I think plays well for him too. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, people say it's like riding a bike, but really it's not. For the head coach, a lot of times, if you're not going to call the plays and you're just going to work with the quarterback, which John Gruden has done in the past, I think it's something that he still will be very good at because a lot of times you turn the uh, ball to the play calling over to your coordinators, and I think that's where that part comes in and is important to be a face of the team uh, and, and to be the spokesman of that team, I think it was a great move, uh, you know, and they obviously paid to do that, but you're in a, a weird situation with Oakland, like I said, when you've got two more years in Oakland and then you're going to Vegas. And I think John Gruden's the perfect uh, happy-go-lucky face for that uh, team uh, in Las Vegas. So as far as, as an overall move for the Raiders, I think it was, it was a, uh, a fantastic hire. The part about it I think that bothers me, uh, you know, there's, we're looking to see if they violated the Rooney rule. And I understand the Rooney rule, and, you know, had it not been for that, you know, the Steelers never had any intention of hiring Mike Tomlin, uh, but he just blew him away when they came in. But I think a lot of times it feels like it's pandering to the minorities too because there's a lot of these coaching candidates that come in who are minorities who had, feel like they have no chance at it. They're just they're coming in and being interviewed because they have to. And I wish there was a way they could, they could change up the Rooney rule a little bit to where it doesn't feel like they're just pandering uh, to minorities at times. But, uh, you know, overall I think for the Raiders it was a, uh, the right hire for them. Well, absolutely, and I, I agree. And but we'll see how how it comes together. It's just, I, I just, it's just an awful lot of money to pay a coach. I guess I, I still, my mind is still trying to wrap around this hundred million dollars that you pay a coach. Uh, but uh, I, I guess what, what I'm saying is, you could have gotten a very good coach for, and not have to pay as much money. But I guess if you got it and you could spend it, spend it. So we look at the Chicago well, you look at Bears. Two, though, you, know, you look at two. You look at two real quick though. When you when you're moving. To, to Vegas or you're trying to appease these Oakland fans because you need their money to, for them to buy tickets to come out for the next two years, maybe spend $100 million compared to what you would have lost if you hired a very good unknown coordinator is making up for it because you've got to fill your stadium for another two years in Oakland, and then you know, he's your PR guy. He's your, your, you're the face of your franchise when you come to, uh, when you come to, to Vegas. So you know, maybe you've – yeah, you spend a lot, but maybe you're making money because you're, you're making the fans – uh, in Oakland happy because now John Gruden's back. So if you look at it from that standpoint, maybe it makes more sense and it'll, it'll, it'll remain to be seen. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, 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 and there again, uh, maybe you're right. They, they want to feel, get butts in the seats. And at the same time, they're going to Vegas and Vegas is known for big spenders. And so maybe that's just part of a, part of the overall plan, but we'll, we'll see what happens with it, with the Oakland Raiders. Let's talk a little bit about the Chicago Bears. Now, we, we know that connection of what's been talked about here locally and in the news, and there was a, 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 a job offered to Matt Nagy. He turned it down to go to the Bears. That is totally not the case from anything 
thing that I'm getting here locally. They did have a conversation with Matt Nagy, but that's about as far as it went. He was never offered a job with the Indianapolis Colts. He was, in fact, offered a job with the Chicago Bears. Now, the Chicago Bears certainly have a good young quarterback in Mitchell Trubisky uh, um, as well. So uh, the thing about it is, as I mentioned to Ed earlier, the problem with the Bears is they can't seem to get out of their own way. Ryan Pace needs to let uh, Matt Nagy be the coach. And I think, uh, by, all, by all accounts, John Fox is a great coach. I don't know that Ryan Pace allowed John Fox to coach, and he has to let Matt Nagy uh, coach, and he has to let him run the team if, if they're going to have any type of successful winning season. Right. Well, I mean, you look at it, the, you know, Trubisky wasn't the quarterback that John Fox wanted, and that, but that's neither here nor there. To me, the most important hire that I think got overlooked a lot is the offensive line coach from Notre Dame, who is, is pumped out All-American offensive lineman at Notre Dame now for years. To me, uh, you know, that's the biggest hire I think that Nagy and the Bears made was bringing him over from Notre Dame because when you've got a guy who you want to be your mm-hmm. franchise quarterback, obviously, especially being from Indianapolis, the thing you want to do most is protect your quarterback. So, uh, to me, the biggest hire the Bears made uh, w- was bringing in uh, uh, the offensive line coach from Notre Dame. And, and Mark Helfrich is your offensive coordinator. Not a terrible hire either. So, I think that, uh, that they've done uh, great. Nagy's done great in setting up his, uh, his coaching staff. And, and you're right. Pace has got to get the hell out of the way. And I think that maybe uh, from the hires that have just been made already on the, uh, on the team and, uh, and Nagy wouldn't have keep Vic Fangio as a defensive coordinator, I think that – Maybe he's going to get the hell out of the way uh, for this team, and it'll be interesting to see what the, what this team becomes over the next couple of years. They've obviously got to get some weapons for Mitchell Trubisky. They've got the running game, but they've got to have somebody for him to throw the damn ball to and, and keep receivers on the field. So it'll be interesting to see what they, now what they do in the draft moving forward. Yeah, certainly all eyes are on Trubisky's uh, development in Nagy's first uh, season of running dip bears. Arizona Cardinals, I tell you what, there's a search that's up in the air. We talked about a few names earlier with Ed. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, at the moment, the Cardinals uh, don't have a single quarterback uh, signed on the roster right now. Uh, uh, But if you remember, uh, that was kind of the situation when they brought on Bruce Arians, and then they brought on Carson Palmer, and they were certainly able to have a a relatively good five years uh, with uh, uh, Bruce Arians. Uh, Certainly, I wish he would be one of the candidates here in Indianapolis. That is not the case. Uh, but so certainly the the job remains open. They've got a wide open search. I think right now uh, we don't really know who's it's going to be. Uh, certainly I think it depends on on what what side of the ball you think that Arizona is going to want to focus on. Is it the defense or is it the offense? And you know some names that have been tossed around. Obviously he's been tossed around by a lot a lot of teams. It's Matt Patricia uh, with New England or Pat Schumer, the offensive coordinator with Minnesota. Steve Wilkes. Uh, uh, with Carolina, who turned down uh, an interview uh, with us uh, as well, and, and their their own defensive coordinator, uh, Betcher. Uh, so, uh, what what are your thoughts on the Arizona coaching position? Who's the best fit out there? Is it somebody that we've talked about? Somebody we've not talked about? Who would you like to see uh, lead lead the charge with the Arizona Cardinals going into 2018? Well, the reason I think Bruce Arians left is I, I don't think he wanted to start over with finding another quarterback and going through that uh, again because obviously Arizona is a great place to be, a nice stadium, uh, and you know they still have some weapons. To me, I think that they they really need a uh, a Sean McVay type, a young uh, offensive coordinator to come in there and breathe some new life into the offense. Uh, you got to find a quarterback, obviously. 
bringing the defensive coach to me would be curious because they've let a lot of good defensive players go over the last four years. So they've moved on, you know, guys like Calais Campbell. So to focus on defense at that point, when you let some of those guys go would be curious uh, to me at this point, but to me, it, it seems like that's another team. Uh, all other Rams that could have the uh, use of a very uh, young offensive coordinator and, uh, and, and bring that type in. And, and maybe, maybe the, uh, you know, no, I'm not sure who really sticks out in my mind, but it, it's a job. I, I think you don't want to retread there. You want a young guy. And I'm not sure maybe who that is, unless you, you bring a Josh McDaniels in there. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think defensive, uh, defensive minded coach is the way to go there. Let's talk about the Detroit Lions. Obviously, Jim Caldwell gets fired again. And, you know, in, in my opinion, I don't know that he deserved to be fired. I don't know that he deserved to be fired here in Indianapolis. He's a good coach. I, I'm sure he'll land on his feet. Uh, but the, the, there's a logical connection right now that involves the Patriots coaches uh, in, in Detroit. And I think a lot of people would like to see Matt but Patricia up there in Detroit. They also are interested in Josh McDaniels, as we know we are as well. Uh, and they also are very interested in talking with uh, Pat Schumer. Now, see, those guys are all still playing, uh, so there, there's not a lot that they can be done. And, and Mike Barba, which also is certainly on the shortcut list uh, for us as well. Uh, but uh, what are your thoughts with the Detroit Lions? And we'll get into the Colts here in just a second here. But the, uh, the Detroit Lions – who do they hire as a coach? Who do you think they should hire as a coach? Uh, and, and so forth. Well, you know, my partner is from Detroit and a uh, huge Lions fan. And, and all reports were that they were set to uh, to offer the job to Matt Patricia. Uh, you know, and then uh, a day later or an afternoon later, the Giants come out and, and proclaim him as their, their favorite as well. So uh, they, in their minds, I think, have the guy they want. But I don't know that he's going to be available uh, to them, unless they're willing to pony up the same kind of money that the Giants are going to. Uh, so I, I think that if Matt Patricia is off of the Giants job, that's where he goes. But, you know, I know from, from talking to Billy and him, talking to folks uh, around the organization, that Matt Patricia is the guy that they want. Well, certainly, and just like uh, uh, Josh McDaniels is, is the guy we want, you, you can't talk about it because, you know, they're still, they're still in play. Let's talk about the Indianapolis Coats. You know, the thing about this job, is, to me, is it's got to be one of the best jobs that open out there. You've got a great draft pick. You've got a great quarterback that's coming back, a Hall of Fame quarterback that's coming back. By all accounts, we believe he's coming back. So until I'm shown otherwise, I mean, sure, we've got to see how he does in OTAs and that sort of stuff. But by that point, the draft is already going to be done. The, co- the coaching position is already going to be hired. You've got to go into this thinking, hey, I'm going to be the coach of Andrew Luck. And I've got a great draft pick. This is this is a good opportunity for any coach. Now, here's my process process of elimination, and I'll tell you who I've got chosen uh, for uh, the Colts uh, coach. And you tell me by my process of, of elimination, uh, just doing math, which I'm not very good at. So the the process is pretty easy. Here's the thing: we had uh, to, to to talk with our very first interview was Josh McDaniels with uh, the Patriots, and then you have Chris Richard with the Seahawks, and then you have uh, Mike, Mike Barabel with the, the Texans. You have Steve Wilkes with the Panthers, with uh, who declined an interview because he heard. Now again, he said she said, but he did decline the interview because he heard that the Indianapolis Colts were focused on an offensive-type mind. So that brings my, my list a little bit shorter. We also know that uh, they talked with Matt Rule, the head coach at Baylor. That's all it was, was a conversation. He announced that he was going back to Baylor. So he's off the list 
But but here's the thing. He, I, he, he was never really offered a job, and he knew he wasn't going to be offered a job. That's why he took that job back at Baylor. Why else would you go back to a team that almost had you in uh, NCAA death penalty just a year ago? Why would you go back to that organization? And the only reason would be is you don't have anywhere else to go. So the, the, the Colts weren't interested in the, in, the, in the Baylor coach. Matt Nagy took, took the job. I think they'll still talk to Dave Taub with, with the connection there. But if you, if you look at uh, the offensive part of the line, that leads Josh McDaniels, uh, and it, it leaves maybe a couple other people that they would want to talk to. But the front runner is Josh McDaniels. He also has the same agent as uh, Ballard, so, uh, which is Bob Lamonte. So you take all of that into account and you cross out everything that, that we know to be fact, that really leaves two people uh, that, 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 that they would look at. I think if they do decide to go on the defensive side of the ball, uh, the most logical choice would be Mike Variable. If they decide to go on the offensive side of the ball, which to me is the most logical side of the ball, so by process of, process of, of elimination in my own brain, I say Josh McDaniel is the next coach of the Indianapolis Colts. What are your thoughts, sir? Well, you know – to me, it seems it really just feels like another thing the Colts are going to screw up. I mean, bringing in the Baylor coach seemed like a complete waste of time for a guy who went one for one one game last year. But the interesting thing out of that conversation was the, an interview he did with a local newspaper there uh, down in uh, in Waco, talking about uh, the concern, the feeling he got, and the concern uh, that Andrew Luck might not play part of next year or all of next year. That this this injury is a lot more serious. And the Colts have led on, which has been speculation uh, it, by the local uh, media in Indianapolis, by the Indianapolis Star, and, and, and the feeling that some of the fans got that they were duped and, and how serious Andrew Luck was hurt. And the, the feeling that that's the feeling that he came away with from there is concerning if you're a Colts fan. And I think uh, that if Josh McDaniels has offered uh, you know, two positions, one that has a for sure option at quarterback, where there's not a question mark, that that's where he goes. I don't know that people are looking at, this, at the Colts as a favorable job. A because of the the mess that uh, that a lot of the uh, a lot of the lineup is. Yeah, they do have the high draft pick, but if there's a question mark with Andrew Luck, uh, I don't know that that is a super desirable job. Plus, you have the uh, just the the meddling of, of Jim Irsay, who uh, you know by all accounts is just absolutely insane. Uh, I don't know that that makes it that uh, that appealing. Now, obviously. You know, a year or two ago, the division was really appealing, but the division improved uh, by leaps and bounds this year, and, and Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt will be back for the Texans next year. So, you know, without an Andrew Luck or 100% Andrew Luck, it could be easily a, a fourth-place finish for the Colts again. So I guess the best of, of what's out there uh, seems to be McDaniels, but at this point it really just feels I have no confidence in the Colts making the right decision. And it, you're, you're probably right. We'll talk about the draft here in just a moment. They, they might screw that. But I got confidence in Ballard. And I, I think that he's been able to rein in Jim Irsay. Hopefully he, he's able to, to keep that. He's certainly a good fan of, of, the, of, the, of the media here locally. I think they would rather hear uh, Chris Ballard talk than Jim Irsay talk. And, you know, Jim Irsay totally hijacked that press conference with, uh, 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 yeah, uh. Yeah, so at some point you would want to see Ballard just reach over and smack him across the face and say, "Shut the hell up! Let me talk." 
you know. But nonetheless, I, I think Ballard, I got confidence in him, and I think that, that whoever they hire, it, it, it'll be a good choice. And, I, and, I, and I, maybe I'm, I'm uh, being overconfident with the Colts based on what they've showed us in the past and exactly what you, you've said before, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Let's talk about the Giants and their coaching search. Certainly, this is going to be the, the – uh, uh, the gold mine of coaching, if you will, and, it, and who they hire as a coach might determine on whether or not if Eli Manning stays or goes. This is a good opportunity, and really, I think you mentioned it earlier. They they said they want Matt Patricia. They also like Josh McDaniels and Pat Schumer as well. And there's also talk with the Giants, and this could come into play for us too. I don't. Again, this is just talk and her set hearsay. But there's talk that if, if uh, Patricia gets hired on there as the head coach, that, they, that he would also bring over Josh McDaniels as the offensive coordinator. That would secure a stay for Eli Manning, a lot of people think, would, would be able to do that. So I think the coach has to be able to keep Eli, Eli Manning uh, there. This is a great job for anybody that wants it. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Giants' uh, coaching position? Well, I believe Matt Patricia is a guy, if, if he wants it, you know, the Giants spent a lot of money on, on defense last year, and it didn't come to fruition. So I think they're looking for a guy to really shore that up. Uh, they're a team that uh, needs to make a decision at quarterback and also a team that needs to find a, a running back uh, to complement the receivers that they have. So I think Matt Patricia is probably the right hire. If you're Josh McDaniels, though, do you want to make a, a lateral move unless this uh, Patriots thing is really falling apart like some reports have said? I, I don't know that I make a lateral move like that, I, I'd probably say with the Patriots, if, if things are, are still hunky-dory there. I, I think Josh McDaniels' only move is to be a, a head coach. I don't think he makes a move to cool. be a, an offensive coordinator, but I believe that uh, Matt Patricia is probably the guy that uh, that winds up uh, as the New York Giants head coach. Well, let's uh, move on to a pre- uh, pre- very premature conversation about uh, the NFL draft. Uh, a lot, to, a lot's going to happen between now and then. But and we'll get, to, we'll talk about the Colts. But I just want to talk about the, the first few uh, picks. The Browns, you would think they're smart enough. <laughs> we're giving a lot of credit here, but you would think the Browns would be smart enough to draft Sam Darnold. Then you've got the Giants, who might go after that offensive tackle with ta- uh, Texas, uh, Connor Williams. Now here's the thing. I think that's who we should go after, but I, I don't know. And then, then there's then there's our pick, and then the Browns have got another pick. Now, here's here's my thought thoughts on this. There's the logical part of my brain that says, "Hey, this is what the Colts got to do. They got to protect Andrew Luck. That's that's the most logical thing they could do." However, the selfish side of me that says, "Hey, I, you know, a lot of people might subscribe to the theory that that there's a." Um, uh, running backs for a dime a dozen. Now, am I saying that Shaquan Barkley is a Ezekiel Elliott? No, but he's as close to an Ezekiel Elliott as we will have in this draft. So the selfish side of me that says we need a guy because let's let's face it, Gore's not going to be there very much longer. We need a guy, and he did. Jim Irsay did make a valid point. We need an Edgar James type guy. That is Shaquan Barkley. So I guess you know it's great to have this pick. Let's not screw it up. I mean, I think you and I are in agreement. We need to to get somebody there that will protect uh, 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 Luck or have a have a lineman. You know, we we talk about Chubb as well. I don't know, you know, Bradley Chubb with New, North Carolina State, but you know, certainly we can trade and move up and move down later on in the draft. But 
there's a part of me that just says we got to get Shaquan Barkley because he's there, but we also got to protect Andrew Luck. So it's 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 kind of like you know, I shouldn't eat this. I know I shouldn't, but I really want to eat this, so I do it anyway. Does that make sense? Go ahead. Yeah, but I don't believe Saquon Barkley is going to be there. Honestly, you know, you look at, at two and, and two at three, and the Giants and the Colts, neither one are probably going to draft a quarterback that high. So if I'm the if I'm the Browns, I'm drafting Saquon Barkley one, and I still have my pick at quarterback at, at four. Uh, you know, that's that's what I would do if I was them because. If the Giants do draft a quarterback, it'll be Josh Rosen, who doesn't want to play for Cleveland anyways. The Colts aren't taking a quarterback. So I think the Browns make a humongous mistake if they don't draft Saquon Barkley one and then take their quarterback at four. Uh, you know, And then for the Colts, you know, to me, uh, you draft uh, one of those edge rushers at three, and then you trade back in the first round and get one of those Notre Dame linemen, uh, both who were All-Americans. So the Colts, I don't believe unless they, they – procure a trade for the number one pick. I don't believe Saquon Barkley is there. Now, it is the Browns. They could uh, screw this all up. But, you know, if Saquon Barkley falls to two, that's another thing that the the Giants have lacked for a long time is an amazing dynamic runner. Uh, imagine pairing Saquon Barkley with, uh, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. Jiminy Christmas. That's, uh, you know, that's something to watch in New York City for sure. I don't think Saquon Barkley falls to even two, let alone three. So I don't believe it'll be an option for the Colts. Uh, so if I'm them at three, I, I draft an edge rusher and then trade back up into the late first round to draft one of the Notre Dame linemen. Well, and that's a, that's a, that's a good theory as well. So we'll see how that 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 plays out. Let's get to the, uh, to today's game. We talked a little bit earlier, uh, more extensively with Ed uh, about the Eagles and the Falcons. But let's talk about that game, and then we'll talk about what's going on over in the AFC. Certainly, uh, uh, the picture is much clearer in the AFC is going to be the divisional uh, uh, championship game uh, than it is the NFC game. And I I think a lot of people are are just astounded that Carolina couldn't beat New New Orleans. But now you got New Orleans and Minnesota. So let's start there. New Orleans and Minnesota. To me, Minnesota is the team to beat uh to in the in the NFC. And I as much as I'm riding this Eagle train and I'll ride it as as much as I can ride it, but I think Minnesota is is certainly the team to beat. And you say home field advantage, it won't be a home field advantage because it's a Super Bowl. I mean, but at the same time, uh, the the fact is they will be at home if they get to the Super Bowl. So uh, New Orleans, Minnesota, uh, they they play uh, tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that doesn't favor uh, Minnesota, which does a lot of games, is playing inside because that's, uh, you know, where Drew Brees is dangerous too. Uh, you know, the Saints uh, – they have an amazing uh, duel at running back, and then you've got Drew Brees who can beat you. You know, the uh, the Panthers last week shut down the, the duo running back team uh, from uh, New Orleans, but Drew Brees came out and won the football game for him. Uh, to me, though, I think the difference in this game is Minnesota's defense. Uh, you know, they've got a, a swarming defense that's going to put a lot of pressure on Drew Brees and on that running game. So uh, I, I've picked Minnesota in the game. Uh, because the, the biggest difference to me is uh, is the defense. Uh, obviously, the Saints have the uh, advantage at quarterback. I think they might have a slight advantage at running back. But Case Keenum this year, if he continues to perform how he has, ha- has been very serviceable, if not very good, uh, at quarterback. He's obviously not Drew Brees, but the defense uh, difference with Minnesota, I think, is the difference tomorrow. So we look at today, Atlanta and Philadelphia. Uh, you heard Ed's breakdown about this game. I think this is going to be a good game, and honestly, I, I, I really am rooting for Philadelphia. I'm not just saying that. 
to say that. I really am rooting for Philadelphia. I think they've got a good shot at this game. What are your thoughts? Uh, you got Nick Foles. You got you got uh, Matt Ryan. Uh, obviously, one experienced quarterback against another experienced inexperienced quarterback. And a lot of people don't have a lot of faith in Nick Foles, uh, but I do. So go ahead. Well, one thing obviously that Nick can't do today is uh, is turn the ball over. Uh, I mean, that's the obvious. But to me, it's going to be uh, paramount for the Philadelphia defense to shut down the running game of uh, of uh, Atlanta and make uh, you know and make Matt Ryan throw the football. Uh, you know, they play in the dome in, in Atlanta. They played in warm weather last week in in Los Angeles. So now they're going to have to play in some bitter cold today uh, in Philadelphia. And and as a betting person, if you look at that aspect of it, when you can take the number one seeded team. Uh, in the NFL and the NFC and get points as an underdog, how do you not do that? So uh, as, from a betting perspective today, the fact that I can take the top-rated team uh, in the NFC and get points, it's a, it's a no-brainer for me when it comes to the betting aspect. But uh, I think Philadelphia, I agree with that. I think Philadelphia wins the game today. I think it's close, but I think Philadelphia wins the football game. You know, let's say uh, we're moving into our balance extra, and we won't have extra too much, but I do want to talk about the, these a- AFC teams. Uh, Tennessee and New England, I mean, Kansas City just dropped just dropped it. I mean, they just totally foobarred the whole game up and allowed Tennessee to come back and beat them. That game belonged to Tennessee – I mean, belonged to Kansas City, and Tennessee just came and took it away from them. Can they do that to New England? Highly unlikely. Between Tennessee – and New England tonight. Well, I'm not going to lie. The game last week made me very happy because I picked uh, Tennessee and took the points, so it made me money from a betting perspective. And I, I'm riding the Titans again this week. I don't think they win the football game, but when I can get you know, uh, double-digit points in a playoff game, I'm taking it every time. I think New England wins the football game. I don't think Tennessee upsets them by any means. Uh, they're too good. Uh, New England is on both sides of the football uh, Tennessee's defense is suspect at times. Their offense obviously is super suspect at times. I think Mariota has regressed uh, as, as the season's gone on. Uh, so I'm taking Tennessee today only because I'm getting double-digit points in a playoff game, but I think New England wins the football game. You know, we were talking about this when you first joined the, the, the call. I said, wouldn't it be funny if the uh, AFC champion, championship game was between two AFC South teams? <laughs> it's not going to happen, but it would, be, it would be funny to watch it. I mean, I, I, I think it, all, you know all the bookies, I think they'll all be running and hiding because <laughs> they, they will lose so much money if that, if that happens. Let's talk about Jacksonville and Pittsburgh. Now, this one's interesting to me because I'm going to give Jacksonville a puncher's chance to beat Pittsburgh. Now, Pittsburgh is tough. Jacksonville has beat Pittsburgh before. Of course, that was when Ben Roethlisberger threw several interceptions during that game, which won't happen tomorrow at Pittsburgh. They are going to be dealing with elements, so that's going to come uh, come into to play on this tomorrow. But uh, Jacksonville and Pittsburgh, good matchup. I, again, I think it's going to be closer than what, we, what we'll see with Tennessee and New England. But I think Jacksonville is gonna can can uh, give a ball game to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, I think Jacksonville not only in taking the points, but I took them in the football game. Uh, to me, uh, you know, when Blake Bortles was throwing the ball less than thirty times, Jacksonville has won all but one game this year. Uh, the defense, you know, they've got more interceptions this year than they did in the previous three years combined. They've got four guys with eight plus sacks. Uh, you know, and then you have the the comments from Le'Veon Bell coming out yesterday as another distraction. I don't think Antonio Brown's 100%. This defense of Jacksonville is just swarming. 
and I think you're going to see Jacksonville hand the ball off a lot more or, or throwing some screen passes tomorrow. I've got Jacksonville winning this football game and moving on to the AFC Championship game. I think that uh, that the, the minus uh, Ryan Shazier hurts on defense and hurts stopping that run. Uh, and if, if Boyles can just be serviceable tomorrow, maybe 10 points can win the game again. Who knows? But I, I don't think Pittsburgh wins this football game. I'm putting my money on the Jacksonville defense again, as I have all year. I'm running Jacksonville to another win tomorrow. That would be interesting because I, I, I honestly would like to see that. I, I don't hate the Steelers as much as I hate the Patriots, but, you know, unfortunately uh, we uh, are going to have to learn to like the the, the uh, Patriots dynasty. Let's talk about that. There's There was that big article that came out about uh, Brady and Belichick and that uh, Brady requested the trade of Galapagos because he felt like that uh, Brady – uh, was I mean because he felt like he was threatened by Galapagos, however you say his name, out to San Francisco. There was talk about uh, uh, Bill Belichick saying, you know, your days are numbered with uh, with Brady. I don't think there was a lot of uh, meat to this. I think that especially if they win a Super Bowl, I think Bill Belichick actually retires. I think he's trying to protect the dynasty. Who runs that dynasty? Is it Tom Brady or Bill Belichick or Kraft or who runs that dynasty out there in New England? Well, ultimately, it's Robert Kraft, but it feels like that this year he sided with uh, Tom Brady. What's curious to me is obviously some of the stuff had to come from inside somewhere, and it really felt that some of that slant of that article, like it came from some of Bill Belichick's people, which is totally out of character uh, for him. Uh, so it, it feels like what may, be, what may be truth in that article was uh, maybe leaked by, by Belichick's people or, or friends. So that's curious. I mean – after a while, we saw it even happen with the Bulls. You know, they went uh, three straight. Jordan goes away for a couple of years. They went three more straight, and then they break up the team. So it's not uncommon that after after a while, there you know starts to become friction between uh, a coach and a star player. So it, it wouldn't be shocking. But I think where Belichick really looked at Garoppolo as being, you know, the successor for the next seven years for him to continue coaching there. I, I don't know that Belichick is is completely done. Uh, coaching, but uh, you know, in the next year or two, it could be done in New England. And, and if Brady does go down or starts to continue to regress, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Where does Robert Kraft side on? And that's uh, that's when I think things get real interesting. But like I said, if I'm any GM at this point, I'm calling Bill Belichick people, and I'll offer. I, I mean, legit, I wouldn't have a problem with uh, a Colts team or a Lions team offering Bill Belichick full control and 20 million a year. Because if, if Gruden's worth 10. Belichick, how's he not worth 20? I mean, Saban's making 11-plus uh, incentives. So to offer Bill Belichick $20 million a year as an NFL team, uh, I don't think would be wrong at all. And if I'm any team in the NFL and I can get Bill Belichick and that's what I get the price I pay, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, the thing about it is who would be able to be able to pay that price? I don't know that Colson would want to pay that price. So uh, before we wrap it up and put a bowl on it today, Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us. I want to talk with you a little bit because we haven't talked much NBA just because we've been, you know, really engulfed in football and so forth. Certainly NBA is underway. I think, you know, we look at this trade that that Richards did with uh, Oklahoma for Paul George, and, you know, we were all up in arms about Paul George, which I'm I'm glad he's gone now, but – we got we won that we won that trade. I look at Victor Owen Depot. I look at some of these other uh, players that and this team seems to be, uh, you know, rallying around Victor Owen Depot. Seem, he seems to be a leader on the team, which is great. I don't think anybody had any high expectations uh, for the for the Pacers if, for the and, and I know that 
there for them to be in the top ten in the in the uh, Eastern Conference says something. Certainly, you know, you look at the Celtics and the Raptors and the Cavaliers, but we beat the Cavaliers last night. So talk with us about the NBA overall as we go into 2018. But but most importantly, I, I think if you're a Pacers fan, uh, which I think most people around here are anyway, the Pacers uh, are fun to watch. Yeah, it's a much it's a much more fun team to watch uh, this year. Um, you know, and nobody I think expected what they've gotten from Sabonis and obviously Oladipo uh, this year. Um, you know, and I think you know over the next couple of years they're going to be a team that's going to be very good. The thing that I worry about this year is the Pacers sneaking in with an eight or a seven uh, to the playoffs because that's to me a terrible place. It's a terrible place to be. If you're going to be an AC, I'd rather be out of the playoffs, get another, you know, decent draft pick. Uh, I think they, they missed and made a mistake on TJ Leaf last year. So uh, the draft uh, concerns me a little bit, but it's honestly a fun team to watch. Uh, I, I think Oladipo has done great uh, to, to step in that position. He's uh, it's, it's moved the ball around a lot more. Uh, and the times that we've seen uh, Indiana struggles when Oladipo has been out of the lineup, uh, for four or five games and hurt. Uh, but, you know, the, the ball movement's much better this year. You're getting contributions from more guys, uh, which is fun to see in the game last night where they were down by 22 points and, and came back and won the game and are now 3-0 against the Cavaliers this year. Uh, you know, something that Paul George and those previous Pacers teams couldn't do in the regular season against LeBron and the Cavs or LeBron and the Heat. So it, it's definitely been a fun team to watch. Uh, overall, I think uh, what's going to be the most interesting about the uh, the NBA this year is going to become the trade deadline uh, what do the Cavs do to improve that basketball team? And, and how do they uh, get better with uh, with Isaiah Thomas? What happens with uh, the Clippers? The talk the other day of, of uh, the Clippers reaching out to the Timberwolves and offering Blake Griffin for Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, what what Does anything uh, happen with Golden State? Do they make a move? Uh, does San Antonio try to honor the wishes earlier this summer of Marcus Aldridge and maybe make a move with him? So I think the trade deadline is going to be the most interesting time to see what happens and how these contenders try to uh, – try to stack up. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the Cavs do and, and who they try to add to uh, make this playoff push. Final thought of the day, uh, the, the Warriors, are they still the team to beat in the West or are they still the best team in the NBA? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say they aren't, but what would concern me if I'm a Warriors fan uh, is the, uh, the continued injury uh, status over the last couple of years of, of Steph Curry and of Kevin Durant. Can both guys stay healthy uh, as they move into uh, playoff time? You know, I think you'll see those guys rest more. So maybe the, the Golden State Warriors aren't uh, aren't the number one seed this year because I'd rather have those guys healthy for the playoffs and not. But the continued uh, injury status of Steph Curry and that ankle uh, will, would definitely concern me moving into uh, moving into the uh, playoffs. But and if they do, uh, if they do how long can they keep this team together, you know, with Durant taking less money. So I, I think we'll see some things change in that area for the Golden State Warriors, uh, whether it comes uh, playoff time or, or in the off season right now, they're still the best, but I don't know that they're going to be the best in the NBA after the trade deadline. Mo from the BS sports show. Appreciate you joining us today as uh, every week. Any, any final uh, words of wisdom for us, sir? Oh, well, you know, uh, well, yeah, I can't say on the radio. No, <laughs> <not> this week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, buddy. You have yourself a good week, and uh, we'll certainly see uh, what happens uh, uh, as the uh, Super Bowl picture uh, becomes uh, clear. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? 
Uh, on Twitter at Mo Radio Show, and soon uh, the new website at IHateMo.com. I love it. All right, buddy. We'll talk with you soon. All right, thanks, Mo. <laughs> Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us also. Uh, thanks to Matt Embry of Open Wheel uh, Now, uh, who uh, helped us break our official IndyCar contributor. Uh, broke down uh, the uh, IndyCar offseason, what was going on there, what some of the things we can look forward to in 2018, and as far as racing goes as well. Keep in mind that we're going to be bringing NASCAR back on board here soon as we're very, very close to the uh, 2018 running of the Daytona 500. Thank you to Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles and official NFL contributor for the the balance. Uh, certainly game day for him against Atlanta uh, and uh, Mo from the BS Sports Show. My name is Tom Marquezel Presidente. Make sure you check us out on TuneIn and iTunes. Hit subscribe, and uh, that'll help us help you uh, have a better experience with the balance. My name is Tom Marquezel Presidente. Remember, don't drink a drive. It isn't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.